get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time out for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. fun at Bush Stadium yesterday with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. The boys are back. Tanner Hendrickson, welcome back into the studio, man. By the way, that audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. How you doing coming off of a big Cardinals weekend? I'm feeling really good. Not as good as Grandpa Albert, but hey, I feel pretty good to be back in studio. Working from home is weird. You can't call him Grandpa after he just... He, he calls himself the Grandpa hey, of the clubhouse yesterday. He just yesterday. stunted on Milwaukee's you know what, you know closer. The, you know what the Brewers learned yesterday? You don't F with the GOAT, and the GOAT just kicked back. No, they also learned that Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, and Albert Pujols, that ballpark can't contain any of them. How That's many right. times have you watched just the first part of the Albert Homer... Uh, home run from yesterday the swing no yeah i don't even the care connection, about the swing and then the don't, uh, e- don't even care about that i the bat toss pointing at the dugout and then superman is jersey better reaction albert or caratini when he does the t-bowing <laughs> behind home plate i actually enjoy the caratini <laughs> i was gonna say that the t-bowing was pretty good because i think it was praying to get off of the milwaukee caratini, brewers roster i can't believe i called that pitch can we hear danny max call on that that second home run once again i think that we're when we get to the end of the season and we'll do our montage of the greatest montage. plays from the cardinals throughout uh, the 2022 season. I think this is going to be a prominent feature on it because I think it's one of Danny Mac's best calls of his career. Point. Albert into deep left center. Oh my goodness. Way out of here. Three run bomb. His second of the day. 689. The outfielders never even moved. Now, can we hear the Milwaukee Brewers broadcast <laughs> of it? Because they sounded like a bunch of you know dead individuals. Funny? I wanted to play it. It wasn't good enough. Well, it of didn't live it up to the moment. Well, they were depressed. Well, I, Brian I know. Anderson going, that ball is gone. <laughs> it did, yeah, it just didn't have the same he got a juice. Hold of that one. 
I thought they would be mad or upset or dis- it was just sad. <laughs> That's there the wasn't best. enough. There wasn't enough there you for me wanna, to go for it. You want to eat individuals' tears twenty four seven? I don't eat, eat them. No, you freeze them, turn them into ice cubes, Good and point. then you eat them. On, we man. will listen to some Milwaukee callers later on in the show today. I listened yep. to Milwaukee Sports Radio this morning, and let me tell you, meatballs. <laughs> they are going through it this morning it was in good Milwaukee. Vibrations, boys. I can't believe what we're watching right now from Albert Pujols. That's because you doubted him the moment he signed. And he's been one of the best hitters in baseball since the 4th of July. Since July 5th, guys, Albert Pujols has quite literally the best OPS in all of baseball. He has an OPS over 1,100. It's better than Austin Riley, who's second on this list. Better than Juan Soto, who we all mistakenly wanted. You've got Juan Soto apparently on your roster already. Mistakenly wanted? Yeah, apparently. Shame on us. Arnado's fifth on this list. Carson Kelly, former Cardinal, is seventh on this list. Goldie, eighth. (laughs) Larson Hubar is ninth. Look at this team go. T-Bone, say it with me. MVP. 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 MV4. Oh, no. Do you guys think that Albert Pujols is going to get to 700 this year? No. No, I don't think 700. I think he surpasses A-Rod. He's at 689 right now. (laughs) Because this is just sometimes how the universe goes, I feel like he's going to hit it like 698, 699 at the final game of the season and just miss out out on 700. Do you think that he can get to 697? Because that's what he would need. He needs eight more now for the rest of the year to be able to reach where where A-Rod is and then to surpass him. And that would give him, I know, but I'm following up with Tanner as well. Oh, and nobody, giving the, the audience the numbers. Nobody cares. So he's at 689 right now. He needs to get to 697 to be able to pass A-Rod. And if he does that, the, the clean guys of the last 40 years, he would be number one on that list in terms of career home runs behind only Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth all time. I, I mean, I think he does. And I think the way he has performed, not just this weekend, not just this past week, but honestly in the past month, I mean, he deserves every at-bats against left-handers and honestly I'd start considering putting him against righties I'm still not doing that even though the numbers are better against righties lately you can get him some opportunities there but it it still hasn't been very good against right-handed pitching like Lars Newbar is better against righties Donovan is better against righties agreed Um, but you just you've got so many left-handed hitters Gorman is better against righties you've got too many options but what I'm saying is you can find at-bats for him if there's righties on the mound throughout a game that I would consider to get him in. I mean, the guy's just hitting right now. He's confident. You're seeing it. You saw it in that moment where he hit the ball out of the park, where he is stunting on Taylor Rogers around the base paths. Like, that's a man who needs to see more pitches because he's feeling it. So I don't think he gets to 700, but I do believe he surpasses Alex Rodriguez by the end of the season. Yeah, I I would consider giving him some more at-bats against right-handed pitching, too. I know the numbers aren't great, but I, I think he's hit the ball well over the, this stretch that he can go up against some right-handed, not all righties, Agreed. but some. Uh, will he get to 700? I don't think so. Will he surpass A-Rod? I'm still skeptical of that because he needs, what did you say, eight to get to tie him, or is that to seven. go ahead? It's seven, seven to, tie. to tie, eight seven to go to ahead. I, I think he'll get I think he can tie him. I don't know if he'll get past him. I don't know if eight still seems like a lot because he's got 51 games. You'd assume he's probably going to start, what, at best half of those, 25 probably yeah, so i i don't know he he may surpass him I, I i think that's definitely in range i i'm still kind of skeptical if he'll get to that much i i think he'll finish with a tie with a rod or one short of a how many more games do they have against the brewers four <laughs> that's okay the so question. there's four 
And you got a lot of games against the Pirates, so you got to think there's at least four in there. You We're would good. think. I mean, they're going against some bad teams. You would think Albert could go on a it, run like, here. I, I want to sit here and say, like, teams are going to be smarter the way that they approach Albert Pujols, but Craig Council, who everyone says is the best manager in the game, obviously is not very intelligent to leave Taylor Rogers in there against Albert. That was baffling. When he decided to do that, I, I sent you guys a text immediately and said, what are they doing? This is managing malpractice for him to continue to leave Rogers in this game right now. And then who could have seen it coming? He ended up hitting a home run as a result of that. And by the way, for what it's worth against right-handed pitching, this is a super small sample size. He only has 35 at-bats or plate appearances against righties. Albert Pujols in the same stretch that we're just talking about since July 5th, when he really started to turn it on, he is batting about 250 against righties, but he has more power against right-handed pitching. He's slugging just about 500 against them. So it's been better. I still would not. You're in such a tight race right now that I can't do stuff just for the numbers. I can't like if the Cardinals extend this out to be a six, seven, eight game lead in the NL Central while the Brewers, I think it's seven of their next 10 games are against the Dodgers. It's gonna be a tough stretch for them. If they fall back quite a bit and the Cardinals now have a significant lead. Okay, down the stretch, you can do some of that stuff with Albert. But until that ends up taking place, it's hard for me to say you should be putting him out there regular, be, regularly because Corey Dickerson has a 900 OPS against righties lately. Uh, you're starting to see Lars Newtbar really come on with an 1100 OPS against right-handed pitching. And Nolan Gorman, that power that you see from Albert, that's his only role really right now on this team is to be in there as a DH against specifically right-handed pitching. So I, I think you're going to get those guys opportunities first and then down the road if one of those guys needs a day off, that's when you could see Albert getting those opportunities against righties. Here's the question though. If he doesn't get there, and I've pushed back back against this notion all year, Albert himself has pushed back against it, especially lately when he's been asked the question. But Mark DeRosa brought up something earlier today on MLB Network, and I do think it's officially time for us to talk about this. Does Albert consider coming back next year? I do think number five needs to consider coming back next year. I want to see him get to 700 homers. Who's to say he can't get hot in the last 51 games and hit 11? But he is a presence. You can tell all the young guys. Dylan Carlson talked about this was his idol growing up as a kid. Now he's getting a chance to play with him. Juan Yepes follows him around like a puppy dog. So, I mean, he brings so much to the table. To see that yesterday was just super awesome. I agree. Everything that he's saying, but I don't think there's any way Albert Pujols comes back. And I don't think there's any way he should come back. Because what I would hate to happen is he sits on 698. And we're like, ah, give us one more year, Albert. And Albert comes back and he's a shadow of himself. Or Albert gets injured and doesn't perform the rest of that season. And you don't go out on top. Like this Albert Pujols makes me feel like the Albert Pujols we watched for so many years here in St. Louis. This is no way, shape, or form the Angels Albert Pujols where he just struggled all season long. If this is the guy we get for the rest of the, the the last 51 games plus some postseason action and he sits at 699 by the end of the season, Albert needs to ride off into the sunset for an incredible career rather than sit there and say, I'm coming back for one purpose only. Yeah, I'd love to see him come back for one more year, but I, I, I'm with Alex. I, I think he is going to retire based on the way he's talking because he keeps bringing up the physical aspect of it, which makes me think that he does know that this is the last ride. And honestly, that was my big concern about re-signing Albert this offseason was 
okay, what if he's not? I knew he wasn't going to be himself, but what if he's not even close to what he's been this year? How would I remember it? Would it become one of those where it's like, I can't believe we have Albert Pools. Albert Pools has actually become a negative for the Cardinals team. And I'm glad to see that he's not had it. He's kind of having his going out on top, even if they don't win a World Series. I mean, this is one of those great right off into the sunset moments for Albert Pools. Return home, put a hell of a year together when you're in your age 40 plus season. So I, I think no matter what, he will retire. And I think it's a good time to do it I, because he's going off in the sunset, playing good baseball, and it's not the game's beating him out. He's choosing to leave the game. Plus, Yachty's not coming back. I, I, like, I, he ain't going to come back if Yachty's not here. I think Albert put everything into this year. Like, everything. He came into camp, and all the reports were, this dude is in excellent shape. And we've seen that, right? Like, you, you can see that now into the games. And mentally, he is completely locked in. You can tell he is enjoying this in a way that he did not the first 10 years that he was in St. Louis. It's just a different version of Albert Pujols. You would expect that, right? We all we all change. We all grow. We all appreciate the little things as we continue to get older. And I think Albert's doing that right now. He's known since day one. This is it. And I think that's been part of why he is appreciating the things, the little things in life, the way that he didn't the first time around here in St. Louis. So I think it's good for everybody that this is it for him. And it's been a remarkable send-off in every possible way. He's been super productive. He's had some really excellent moments for the Cardinals this year. Just everything involved has been everything you could have asked for. So I, I think this has got to be it for both sides. It's good for him. It's good for the Cardinals. It's a clean break for everybody involved. If he came to the Cardinals tomorrow and said, I want to be back next year, I think the Cardinals would have to have a serious conversation about I don't think we're going to find a better guy against specifically left-handed pitching coming off of the bench than Albert. That guy doesn't exist this offseason. However, it does make things a little bit more clunky in terms of the other roster moves that you're able to make this year, this offseason. It it becomes a little more difficult to navigate, especially with some of the guys that are blocked right now in AAA. But I think they would let him come back. I just don't think Albert wants to do that. I think this is this is the year for him to walk away, and he's doing it in a year where he's having a ton of success, and the team is now having quite a bit of success, at least in part because of him. So I think this is the best way to go about it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. The mic drop feature is on the 101 ESPN app. If you've got some thoughts coming off of a big weekend for the Cardinals against the Milwaukee Brewers, we'll talk to the Cardinals insider for the athletic Katie Wu coming up at 12 o'clock. But coming up next, I want to talk about the weekend, what we learned about the Cardinals specifically with their rotation. Alex, I think we can now say definitively, the Cardinals have the rotation to compete in the playoffs. It's the other stuff that we've got to confirm. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. Albert in the deep left center. Oh my goodness! Way out of here! Three-run bomb! His second of the day! 6-89! The outfielders never even moved. Back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals rotation 
proved over the weekend that they have what it takes to be able to compete in the playoffs. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, the bullpen basically didn't even need to attend the games over the weekend. It was just Giovanni Gallegos, Ryan Helsley, and Andre Pallante out of the pen that got any work whatsoever. Oh, well, nice of Ollie to give everyone the day off. Everybody else basically got the four days off, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then today with the off day going into tomorrow's series against the Colorado Rockies. I think that the biggest question I had going into the weekend was this. The revamped rotation with Jordan Montgomery as your number three. And then, of course, Michaelis and Wayno being the two guys that are at the front end of your rotation, barring something changing with uh, Jack Flaherty status. Is that good enough? Can that really compete against the one, two, threes around the National League? The Brewers don't have the same type of offense as the Mets, the Braves or the Dodgers. We would all, I think, agree on, on that assessment. But they're pretty good. I actually think they're slightly underrated, given what the numbers for them have been all season. Did this weekend change the way at all that you feel, Alex, about the Cardinals 1-2-3 in their rotation after seeing what they were able to do against the Brewers? Absolutely. And I think the biggest question was all Jordan Montgomery. I didn't have any questions about Adam Wainwright and Miles Michaelis. If those are my 1-2s going into the playoffs, and I know Miles struggled against Colorado, and Adam Wainwright had his struggles, I believe it was against Colorado, but those two, you know what you're getting from. And what we saw against Milwaukee on the biggest stage, Adam Wainwright will perform. Miles Michaelis will perform. It's what is Jordan Montgomery? Because like I told you guys, the same with Jose Quintana when he faced the Cubs in that first game. I want to see what he does in the second outing to where he doesn't have that momentum behind him of being traded and the adrenaline of being at Bush Stadium. Like he's going out there in that second start. And he pitched well against Colorado. Jordan Montgomery's, I think, was bigger because you pitched against the Yankees and you did a really good job against a team where there were a lot of emotions. But then you go out there and you go up against Milwaukee. And I understand it wasn't Corbin Burns or Brandon Woodruff that he was going one for one with. But you still go up against Milwaukee in the NL Central, which you were battling to extend the lead. And that was the first of the series. And he pitched a gem. I mean, eight strikeouts with four hits, and he's not walking, guys. He gave you six innings. That's the Jordan Montgomery that I needed to see to solidify my top three. If Jack Flaherty comes back, if he gets back to 2019 form, then obviously you you got yourself an even bigger prize. But right now, as it looks, if Jack Flaherty comes back, he's number four in my rotation because these three are so good for you. Yeah, these three told me this weekend that this team's identity is still pitching and defense because, look, I had questions on all three heading into the weekend, to be completely honest with you. I mean, you look at Michaelis. I thought Michaelis' start in Colorado was just kind of a blip on the radar and there wasn't much to worry about, but I needed to see the bounce back, and he bounced back yesterday. Wainwright I did have some concerns about because you look at his four starts since the All-Star break. He had an ERA of 5.4, and his opponents were hitting 264 against him. So I wondered what he'd look like against a playoff-caliber team. And he goes out, and he shoves, and he competes with the best and burns. And then you look at Jordan Montgomery, and it's good to see him because he, he confirmed to me that the acquisition that the Cardinals got at the deadline in Montgomery, he's a legitimate number three. He's a number three that you can go into a playoff series and feel comfortable with. And to Alex's point, if you get Jack Flaherty back and he can get back to himself, you have a really solid one through four in your rotation that I would put up against most of the teams in the National League. And they give you a fighting chance in the playoffs. And honestly, even without... Even without uh, Jack Flaherty, if he doesn't get back to form or he just doesn't end up coming back, say he gets hurt again on his rehab, which hopefully he doesn't, I feel comfortable with Quintana based on what we've seen with him being yep. in your playoff rotation. So no matter what, I've gone I've gone into this or left this weekend feeling like this rotation is definitely a playoff rotation and is one that should be able to compete with some of the best. Are there one and twos going to be 
technically outmatched on paper. Yeah, but I know those guys are going to raise their game and give the Cardinals at least a fighting chance in any playoff game. The Cardinals starters over the weekend, the three of them, Montgomery, Wayno, Michaelis, win a combined 23 innings. They gave up a total of 14 base runners on walks and hits. They allowed three earned runs in three games and struck out 22 batters. They had eight more strikeouts in the series than they allowed walks or hits. And the three earned runs, those were all home runs, correct? Yeah. I mean, it was it was an unbelievable weekend for the Cardinals rotation. And we got this 65780 year comfort service text line from the 618. Guys, the starters were facing an offense that is not even as good as our offense. They will be facing much better opposing lineups in the playoffs. I think they did their jobs this weekend. Nothing more than that. What the Cardinals did this weekend would have been impressive if they were facing the AAA Cubs lineup. They were instead facing a contending lineup. That is a hell of a lot more than what their job was. Getting six innings by any starter with three earned runs or fewer, that in today's game is considered basically a success. That's what the definition of a quality start is, and teams win roughly 70% of the time when they get a quality start out of their starter. That's a success. The Cardinals got a hell of a lot more than that, especially on Saturday and Sunday when you have Wayno and Michaelis go a combined 17 innings. That is not doing your jobs. That is exceeding any realistic expectations. That is what a one and a two in a rotation look like. That's what Corbin Burns did against you. He basically matched up head to head with Wayno on Saturday and they met in the middle. They tied. It, it was a draw between those two starters. If Adam Wainwright can pitch to a tie with other teams aces, then you are in a really good spot when it comes to what your rotation is. And now the questions shift to everything else. It shifts to is Giovanni Gallegos going to be able to handle that eighth inning for you? Is Henesis Cabrera going to get things back on track or are the Cardinals, as had been reported yesterday, I think by Rick Hummel, going to explore giving Zach Thompson some of those opportunities towards the back end of your pin? Are you going to see the offense outside of Newt Bar, Arenado, Goldie, and Pujols? Are other guys going to be able to step up in that lineup? It's fascinating that you just said Newt Bar and Pujols in that conversation. Those are your top four. Those are your top four hitters in your lineup right now. And if, if you get some affirmatives on those questions, if you're able to get some other guys in the bullpen that step up, and as Tanner has mentioned a million different times, you got four guys now that you can trust back there. If you can get one or two other hitters that can step up, and it doesn't have to be at the same time, but kind of surrounding those guys with different people depending on the playoff matchups, if you can do that, this is a team that can compete for more than just a dark horse contender in the National League. It can be a real threat in the National League. But the first thing they needed was the starting pitching. And this weekend, we confirmed that that's, that's up to snuff when it comes to the contenders. Yeah, I just I don't like that narrative of, well, they did their job against an underperforming team. One, like you mentioned, BK, you were contending, but they've done this already before. They did this against the Yankees. And I know the excuses at that time was, oh, well, they don't have Stanton and they don't have Rizzo. Yeah, but they had Judge and Carpenter. And you found a way to keep those guys in the ballpark so they've done their job the the ferrario concerno meter though it has always been on the offense it's it's probably at like a three or a four for the bullpen because every once in a while you do get the tight butt cheeks when individuals come out of the pen but the offense is the bigger question because of what you just mentioned pujols newt bar arenado goldschmidt two of these things are not like the other now they're performing great goldie arenado 
Exactly. <laughs> but you need the guys who are supposed to be performing there. I said to you guys before the trade deadline and the whole Juan Soto thing, I didn't believe this offense is could get the job done against the top contending teams for a World Series. If you start to get that going, the way that we saw against the Yankees and the way you saw a little bit against the Rockies and now in this series... I'm going to start believing a lot more than what I did originally because the bigger question mark was the pitching side of things. And BK mentioned it there just a minute ago about, you know, the big threes that we talked about. Do you have the three big bats? Do you have the three big starters? And do you have, my opinion, the big four relievers in the postseason? <clears throat> I think they got the relievers. The relievers, we didn't get to find out much about this weekend. And we'll we'll find out more about them when they get probably into September when they're playing the Dodgers on the road. Uh, the rotation you found out, all you needed to know about their, having their big three. And honestly, they got a big three with potential reinforcements coming. The lineup is still the big question mark for me. They got the big three against left-handed pitching. There's no doubt about that. Goldie Arnado Pujols, that's a hell of a one-two-three as we saw uh, this weekend, especially with Pujols going off the way he did. The right-handed pitching one, I'm not sure that they have that third guy. And Goldie and Arnado, look, I'm not taking away anything from their seasons, but they... <clears throat> They had some of their struggles against the right-handed pitching. I know he got Goldie got a hit off of Burns. I, I think Arnado had his first O for game in the month of mm-hmm. August, which is just <laughs> unbelievable, absurd in itself. Um, but then you don't have that other guy. Like who's the other guy? I know Carlson and O'Neill are supposed to be those guys, and they they haven't had that moment yet. They haven't taken off yet. They need to have that moment coming up soon. And otherwise, I look at that lineup. Is Newt going to be that guy? I mean, I mean, he might be a good leadoff guy. I don't think Newt's ever a guy that I'm ever going to view as a threat. And the only threats are Goldie Arnado. He has been now for six weeks. So I've, I've, I've at least I'm, got to consider I'm him as being a possibility. To, I'm, st- I'm, con- I'm viewing him as a threat the way I viewed Tommy Edmond as a threat at the beginning of the season when he was probably the best player right there with Goldschmidt. I think that's... Okay, I think that's fair, but I'm thinking of a guy that's going to be behind Goldie and Arnado, or the guy yeah, that's going to be right in front of them to clean. The guy you behind them is going to clean it up. Someone's got to clean up when Goldie or Arnado get on base, and right now they don't have that guy. Nobody's taking that role and run with it. It's really got. It's got to be one of Gorman or O'Neill. Maybe O'Neill. Maybe DeYoung. I think it could be Yepes. Could be DeYoung. It's got to be one of those guys. One of the power threats at the bottom of your order, right? Like this is what. When you look at the Dodgers, when you look at the Mets, when you look at the Braves, what do they have that you don't? Well, they have those guys that are batting five and six that just freaking crush the baseball. <laughs> but you get to that spot in the order and you're like, okay, we can breathe a little bit here, right? That's the same thing that I, most people feel about going up against the Cardinals. You get through Goldie Arenado, you feel good about it. Well, if you've got somebody that in that five and six hole are a threat consistently to put the ball over the wall, that's when you start being concerned. Albert is one of those guys. When you're facing against a left-handed pitcher at this point in the season, it's no longer a small sample size. This is who he is. He crushes lefties. And it's why, again, going back to the decision yesterday, having Rodgers face him in the eighth inning was a baffling choice by the Padres. But to take it a step further, that's a guy that when you have a lefty on the mound, I feel great about it. What about when they've got right-handed pitching on the mound, though? That's what they've got to be able to solve over the next month and a half. That's going to be the big question going into the playoffs. Speaking of questions, we got this on the text line. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, if the Cardinals end up getting good pitching consistently, then all we're going to do is see Ollie Marmol waste the game away when it comes to the late-inning decisions. We saw exactly that happen on Saturday. Let's talk about some of those late game situations. I think it influenced or it told me what we're going to see from Ollie once we get into the playoffs based on the way that he played that on Saturday. And I like the way that he did it. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we will be joined by our Cardinals insider for the Athletics. She's Katie Wu joining us. But I wanted to discuss some of Ollie Marmel's strategy, especially on Saturday night, because, guys, I really liked the way that he managed this weekend. He clearly knew, even though he said publicly, this isn't a big series. We all we think that all the series are big. No, he knew <laughs> this is a big series. Why do you think that he went to Ryan Elsley for two innings on Friday and then again for an inning on Sunday? It's because he knows how significant these games are, especially if there's a tiebreaker situation by the end of the year. So he went to the, the biggest possible guns that he had at the time that he had them. And he deployed them, I think, correctly. So on Saturday, there was a situation that arose that has been... I think unfairly, uh, it's been criticized unfairly in my mind. So let me set this up and then we can discuss it a little bit. All right, guys. So in the top of the eighth inning, the Cardinals put Tyler O'Neill in left field for defensive purposes. They replaced Brendan Donovan in left field because at the time, the Brewers had a, a guy on first. Christian Yelich is coming up to the plate. You want your best defense in there to be able to prevent them from scoring another run. They had just tied the game at one run apiece after Urias had that home run to right field. So O'Neill comes into left, and he's going to be up to bat third or fourth in the next inning as a result of him swapping in for Brendan Donovan. Makes sense. They know that Rodgers is coming into the next inning. And when you look at the splits, Donovan and O'Neill both have the same OPS against left-handed pitching. But when it comes to the power, you've got much more of that coming from the O'Neill side of things. So you're going to side with that. And he brings the defense in there. That makes a lot of sense in my mind. So then in the next inning, that's where things have, they get really interesting. Yadier Molina leads off the inning with a single. Now you have a runner on. That's the potential go-ahead run. Edmund, who has great numbers against left-handed pitching there, comes up next. He pops out to shortstop. And then this is the move that I think a lot of people were critical of. Yeah, with Yadier on the base paths, not smart. You need power here. And you either have an option of Lars Newtbar or Albert Pujols being deployed in this spot against a left-handed pitcher. And we saw how that worked out yesterday, right? Went pretty well for the Cardinals against lefties with Albert. It was just because it was Taylor Rogers, BK. Albert this season against lefties has an OPS over 1,000. It is literally double against left-handed pitching what Lars Newtbar has been this year. Lars is at a 590 OPS. Uh, Albert Pujols is at 1,050 in terms of his OPS. And again, we all know Yachty is not scoring on a single from first. You need that slugging as well. Again, Albert Pujols' slugging percentage against lefties is double that of Lars Newtbar this year. Lars is at a 310. Albert Pools is at a 665 slugging percentage against left-handed pitching. So he goes for broke. Albert strikes out. Then in the next at-bat, Tyler O'Neill strikes out. It didn't work. And now you're stuck because in order to keep your DH, you have to now put Corey Dickerson in right field. And that's tough. Because later on, we all know what happens. Giovanni Gallegos is pitching for the Cardinals. And there's a play that should have been made in right field by Corey Dickerson. He took a terrible route to it. It resulted in a triple. And if that run doesn't get to third, then I don't think that Colton Wong hits that sack fly. And now we're talking about a completely different ballgame when the Cardinals potentially tie it up in the bottom of the 10th. But you had to do that in order to keep your DH. And coming up in the next inning... You had Nolan Gorman come up third in that inning after Goldschmidt and Arenado. That's what you wanted. And he's going up against Devin Williams, a right-handed pitcher. They set it up correctly. It didn't work. 
And sometimes that happens. But I loved the way that uh, that Ollie deployed his best guys in the most advantageous situations. Sometimes it doesn't work, but I appreciate that he was willing to go for broke and try to win that game when he had the opportunity to do so. Uh, I'm with you. I mean, when you think of how many times can you count that Ali Marmal has mismanaged a game this season? I don't think I can count it on more than a hand. He's admitted a few times when it's happened. But so, that's yeah. it. I mean, we're not talking like 10, 15. We're talking maybe five with Ali this season, which is impressive in itself. Now, I'm with you on the offensive side of things. I want a manager who's aggressive. It's just like in hockey when you got a goalie and a coach that pulls the goaltender late in the game and you tie things up. I want the aggressiveness. I wanted that from Ali. Now, my only two questions for you guys, and you can help me with this. Couldn't you have just flipped for defensive purposes rather than sub Tyler O'Neill in for Brendan Donovan? Couldn't you have flipped Lars Newbar and Brendan Donovan defensively to where you have a little bit better defender in left field than right field? If that's so what in other you're words, going to take for. out Newt for O'Neill and put Donovan in right and have O'Neill in left. Correct. Could have done it. I don't know if I, I, I think you like Newt defensively, and I think your best defensive outfield is O'Neal Carlson. That's you're basically Newt. double switching, though, right? No, no he's, saying, he's saying instead I'm of sorry. taking out Donovan, you take out. No, I'm sorry, Newt I'm confusing. I'm confusing you. Can't you just flip them position wise that inning? Like, can't you have Brennan go to right, Newt Bar go to left? Could have, but I don't know why you would. Because then you're not having to put Tyler O'Neill in defensively for Brennan Donovan at that point, and then Brennan. Do- or but you t- wanted the reason why you do that in part is so it's twofold, right? You get him in there for that that last at bat in that inning, and then you want him to come up in the next inning. He was the cleanup hitter in that next inning. Tyler O'Neill was correct, but you're kind of going for broke there with Albert Pujols at that position. Because you're wanting that and power. O'Neal, because you want O'Neill's power. Because to bring him in for Lars Newtbar, Newt had a 310 slugging percentage in that. Or excuse me, to bring him in for Donovan, Donovan has a 333 slugging percentage against left-handed pitching. O'Neill's at 435. So you have it's a it's a move for two reasons. You're serving kind of two different innings. The first inning that he's in there, you want him in there for the defense, the, the defense. And then when he comes up to bat in the next inning against a left-handed pitcher, as it ended up resulting. You've got him in there as a power hitting option coming up behind Molina Edmund Pujols. I guess the question I'm asking is, could you just go for broke there with Pujols? And if that doesn't work out, then you still have Tyler O'Neill as a weapon later in the game. So you're not getting to potentially, but then you're probably putting him in against Devin Williams. And in that spot, he's not based on his split so far this year. He doesn't hit right handed pitching as well as he's hit left handed pitching. So you're not using him in the most advantageous situation possible. Yeah, Uh, I mean, that's what you're doing in that spot. He is saying my best spot to deploy Albert Pools and Tyler O'Neill is against a left handed pitcher. And this is our only chance potentially to face a lefty. Let's use them now because I don't know what's coming in the 10th or later. Yeah. And you went for broke with it. The the only issue that by the way, they only saw right handed pitchers from there. The only issue or at least two issues that I feel like people have is one Corey Dickerson being used. And right now that's your only option because he's your fourth outfielder. There's nothing else you can do in that situation if you're going to go for broke. And two is Giovanni Gallegos. Or you lose the DH. Those are your two options. You either put Corey Dickerson in right field. And the pitcher would have been coming up in that ninth inning. So you would have been. You would have been going to Corey Dickerson regardless at this point. 100%. And then the other problem that people have is with Giovanni Gallegos, and I didn't see an issue with that one either with him pitching in extra innings. I'll ask this. If you don't go to Giovanni Gallegos there, then who are you going to? And by the way, again, it goes back to the Corey Dickerson point. Because if it's not Corey Dickerson. he takes a better route to that ball, and you can't plan on him taking a terrible route. By the way, I think he was fine. I don't think he ran a bad route because he's not healthy. 
I think he ran a bad route because he's not a particularly good outfielder, defensively at least. And so on that play, made a bad play to the ball. Ollie talked about that after the game, and we all saw it. We watched it with our own eyes. If he takes a better route, I think that's a totally different game in that spot. And I don't think that Ollie's being criticized the same way. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't have a problem with the way that Ollie managed it. I like the aggressive nature of it, especially in a series like that. Now, if you're playing like Colorado this week, then it's a little I don't know if you need to be as aggressive in that term. But Agreed. the only thing that I would have liked to have seen differently, in my opinion, would have been the lose the DH because I think you're better defensively. And the only reason I say that is. One, yes, I agree. Dickerson, I think, is just not very good defensively in the outfield, and it wasn't because of the calf issue. But the fact of the matter that he got pulled from the lineup, and honestly, I, I'll be completely honest with you, I think, uh, I'm not sure Dickerson's hurt. I think that was a bluff by the Cardinals. Yeah. I, I think they wanted Dickerson and left, and then they went, no, nah, you know what, actually, we'd rather have Brendan Donovan. All right, what's he got? Well, it's a calf issue, sure. I think he, I think Ollie bluffed. I think the Cardinals bluffed. But if there actually is something that is bothering Dickerson with his calf, I don't want to see him in the outfield at all, honestly. Like, I, I understand pinch hitting with Pujols there. I'd rather lose the DH and, and shift my second baseman. At that time, it was uh, Edmund. Shift Edmund out to right, and then I would when keep Gorman at second base. When was the Edmund played in the outfield, though? And that was earlier this year when he went and played in center field when everybody was dealing I, with injuries. I personally don't feel like Brendan Donovan's that much of a defense. I think Brendan Donovan's a better defender for you in the outfield than Corey Dickerson is. But again, that was He'd not a, used. Yeah, that, yeah, that was occurred. not a move about the right. defense. It was a brief move for defense, but really that was about getting O'Neill's bat in the order in that next inning. Right. Seeing him against a left-handed pitcher. Donovan's OPS is very good against lefties, but it, the vast majority of that OPS comes from on base. And in that spot, you're looking for the slug. You're trying to win the game right then and there. And Tyler O'Neill gave you the best chance to do that in that moment. So, I, again, I, I really liked the way that he played it. For what it's worth so far this season, uh, to- Tommy Edmond has played a total of two games in the outfield. I I trust Corey Dickerson out there right now more than Tommy Edmond. And uh, See, I would still trust Edmond more in the outfield I I than I would, would trust Edmond, too. Especially because he got pulled, regardless if we know. And the whole point, and again, I don't know if he's actually hurt and or Tommy's, not. But if yeah. he's dealing with the calf injury and Dickerson, I think Tommy's dealing with something too. I think Tommy's dealing with something too. But I still something. think he's, I think he's still a better defender in the outfield right now in two games than what Dickerson is. But, and the thing with me too is, if you go to the lose the DH, and again, this is all playing the hypothetical, doesn't matter at this point, but. If you're going with the lose the DH, then I still have Dickerson as a bench bat potentially for when the pitcher spot does come up, which would have been at the very top of the order. And then you've also got Kisner available as well. And then you're not putting him in the outfield as much. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless, like if they would have lost this series, I think I would have a lot more of an issue with that game because going for broke at that point, you know, you're not. You're not going to be eliminated from the playoffs in that game. But because you won the series, I have no issues with that because I won an aggressive manager. And to way you teased this segment, BK, when you get to the playoffs and you have to win a game, I want my manager doing this. The problem then becomes you have to have your players step up. Yeah, you can't you can't blame the manager if you put your team. It's the same thing. I made I made the goalie reference earlier. If you pull the goaltender and you give up an empty net goal, that's not on the coach for pulling the goaltender. That's on the players for not getting possession of the puck and just putting it on net. So if Ollie's going this route to score these runs because you got the big boppers at the top of the lineup and Yachty's not going to get from first to third on a single, fine. This is the way I want my manager to manage manage when games are, are important. I also, for what it's worth, in that spot in the future when the game-winning run potentially is on first, 
I would like them to pinch run Kisner for Yachty. I understand why they don't do it because you've got some big innings potentially coming up defensively as well. But Kisner can score from first on a well hit single into the outfield. I think it's just and a, you're not getting that from Yachty or Molina. I think it's just Yachty's a matter going of, first to second, second to third, third to home. I think it's a matter though if you're going into extras. You read, but you don't know that at that time. At I know, that time, you, you're if they are going for the broke, then the best way to also maximize your potential to be able to score a run there is not by having Yadi or Molina run the, run the bases. And you don't even necessarily have to have Kisner be the guy. If you think you got a faster pitcher, have a pitcher. I was going to say, yeah, have too. a pitcher. But they're run. not going to do that. What's <laughs> Steven Matz doing? Now, if he didn't have the MCL, he is the best athlete on the team. I've heard. <laughs> so we've heard. Who, Terry who Collins. To? That's right. <laughs> Terry Collins said he's fast. Coming up in 10 minutes, we'll talk to Katie Wu. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and anti- answers. Rather, Katie Wu joins us coming up in Ancies. less than 10 minutes. Anties or anties? Ancies? What did he say? <laughs> I don't even know what I said. I'll be honest with you guys. <laughs> Let's start with this one from the three one four. Auntie M, Auntie M. <laughs> Auntie Anne's, by the way, great great spot. But why is it exclusively in malls? I'll never understand. From the three one four, you guys have mentioned multiple times that Wayno and Michaelis step up in the playoffs. What are their actual numbers though to back that up? Well, last season Wayno went the distance with Max Scherzer. Miles Michaelis has a one point five ERA and his three opportunities in the playoffs. That seems pretty good. <laughs> And Miles Michaelis, or excuse me, Adam Wainwright has a 2.8 ERA in his playoff career. What's also high score mean? Good. Miles, Miles Michaelis has done this in 12 innings in the playoffs. Still good. Important caveat. Hey, still did it. Adam Wainwright has done this in 114 innings in the playoffs. Ooh. I think it is fair to say he steps up his game when the games get the brightest. Fancy. So there's your numbers. Uh, from the 618, guys, why do you think it is that teams are still using left-handed pitchers against the Cardinals? I like to give the guys a little bit of a challenge every now and then, you know? Can I phone a friend here, Regis? I, that, that, the Some fact, teams, their best pitchers just happen to be lefties, and they think their best is going to do better than your best, and they that, are wrong. That did not equate this weekend with Milwaukee and Craig Council, and that was the most confusing thing because, again, everyone I hear talk about Craig Council is he's one of the best managers in the game, one of the smartest guys in the game. How the bleep are you still going back to Taylor Rodgers in that inning? I think I can I get councils thinking a little bit, but I still would have gone to the bullpen. There's plenty Rod- of guys you could have I think used. what he was thinking was Rodgers had gotten pulls out the night before, and Rodgers is one of those guys that the Brewers are hoping if you get him right, you win the Josh Hader trade. That's great. I so dodged I a car once. I'm not going to go out there and try and do it once again. Hey, That's a good point. I can do it twice. <laughs> it's even better than once. <laughs> so the tough part is, you're managing there for two innings, really. You're managing for the eighth and the ninth. And you know you've got Devin Williams for one of them, and it's a question of who do you deploy for the other. I think what I would have done is gone with Bush in that spot. Probably. Bush. I think he's better, and he's a righty. So you you give yourself the best opportunity to close things out before you get to extra innings by keeping that game at one run apiece. That's what I would have done there, but then you probably have to go to Rodgers in the 10th if you don't get it done there either. So I think that's the way I would have done it to extend the game, and hopefully my offense can get things going. 
but they decided to go a different route. From the 314, guys, do you think that Alec Burleson is a player who could be brought up in September for a dangerous bench bat to help the Cardinals? Yeah, I heard uh, I heard Danny Mack on the fast lane on Friday talk about this. So it's three guys that get recalled, correct? Two. 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 Yeah. It's two, and they can only add one pitcher because it's a limit of 14 pitchers once you get to September. And the other thing that Dan made the point of is most teams do like to carry that third catcher. I I hope that that's not what they do. I hope so also. But well, actually, I, they did that, didn't they? Didn't they bring did, up yeah, Ali Sanchez? Yeah, they brought up Ali Sanchez. Like, that's my only concern because they've made it very clear that they don't believe Alec Burleson is a outfielder. He's a DH bat. I think a lot of this depends on the timeline for Juan Yepes. Was, if Juan Yepes yeah. gets back within the next two weeks, yeah. I think that then you could see Alec Burleson being brought up. If he does not, though, I think what ends up happening is they push this thing out with... Juan Yepes, they're able to keep then Corey Dickerson on the roster and you, you're you able to retain all of your assets going into September. And then Juan Yepes joins the team. You have Zach Thompson join the team and that's the way you go into September. I, and I wonder if this has anything to do with or Alec Burleson's route has anything to do with Corey Dickerson. And that's Corey, what I'm saying. Corey Dickerson's hitting well. So if that's the case, then I, I don't know if there's going to be a spot for Alec Burleson on this team. See, I think there's a role for him, even if he doesn't, even if you have Juan Yepes and Corey Dickerson like he doesn't have to play the but you outfield. don't have the roster spots in that scenario. that's the problem I'm saying I I get it I I think I would still want Alec Burleson up here with the team somehow if you can find a way to get him on the roster because I mean look at his numbers against right-handed pitching he's crushing right-handers and what do we talk about being your number one issue is you're struggling against the elite right-handed pitchers and look maybe he comes up here and he's gonna have the same fate against a like Corbin Burns but I at least got to try it and I get it that Dickerson's played better but I mean, I, I still view Dickerson as kind of a lost asset still at this point. I would much rather see Burleson than I would Corey Dickerson. We'll ask this to Katie Wu. We'll ask her about this coming up on the other side. What does she expect the Cardinals to do? What's the Juan Yepes timeline look like? And there's a ton to get into over the weekend with Katie Wu. What did, what was that like yesterday for her to watch the Albert Pujols show? And did she learn anything specifically about the Cardinals as they took two out of three against the Brewers? We'll talk to Katie Wu about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. what you just told me off air can we invite katie Wu on first because she's going to get a kick out of this also katie are you there can you hear us i can hear you guys what's up all right katie you're so gonna katie, wish you I'm couldn't so sorry, here in just a moment so I, I was asked to <laughs> MC a uh a auction last night for an animal shelter i do Mistake work with. number one okay that was a really jerk move we raised a lot of money by the way thank you Good. but anyway the the party was called paused a party and so in the middle of it i said this has been a Possum evening, and nobody laughed. Nobody got it. No, they, they got it. Katie, what are we doing? <laughs> they got here? it. They understood. Katie, what are we doing? I'm just wondering. I'm wondering if you heard any laughter again as you repeated that reference. Oh yeah, I hear laughter all the time. It's like a it's a standing ovation in my head every time I come up with a he's dad got joke. A laugh track that plays as he's telling his dad jokes, Katie, and that makes him feel better. Katie, about him. I got a 17 month old and a four week old at home, and they both love my jokes. Or they just... Well, that's what matters. Yeah. Or right? They, that's what matters. Or they just uh, like the way my face I don't think it was a very looks. possum joke at all. Oh, uh, Katie's in two! Boom! <laughs> God, I love it, Katie. How are you? 
I'm well, guys. How are you? Possum. I've been. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been. Okay, that one got me. That one got me. Uh, Katie Wu, by the oh way, is our gosh. guest. She's joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. She's the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. I promise her work there is better than the work that you have heard so far on this radio show. You can follow her on Twitter, at Katie J. Wu. Uh, Katie, let's talk about the possum (laughs) home run from Albert Pujols yesterday. In fact, two home runs from him yesterday. What in the world are we watching right now? Because I, I can't even believe that we are continuing to witness him playing at this high of a level. Well, guys, to put it quite simply, we're watching one of the best, certainly the best right-handed hitter of my generation, but probably one of the best right-handed hitters ever to play the game of baseball. And it is just so remarkable to see pools when he comes up to the plate at Bush Stadium, there's that electric energy throughout the stadium that is reminiscent to those early 2000 years. It's like he really, and this is one of my favorite calls all time from Danny Mac on when he, when Albert homework for the first time back in a Cardinals uniform, it truly is like he never left the tear that Albert has gone on since the second half. I mean, the swing, the sound, everything. It, it's so reminiscent of, really what was the, the glory days for Cardinals with Pujols in the early 2000s. And it's like they just switched back the clock. I mean, yesterday was vintage Albert Pujols, and he's doing so at 42 years old. I say this with Wainwright, too. I'm not quite sure how we can call them vintage performances if they're still consistently doing them. Katie, I, I saw the reaction to Pujols' home run from Ali Marmol, how excited he was. And I know it wasn't Pujols' home run, but when Dylan Carlson hit the home run, uh, Miles Michaelis' reaction what are these big moments doing in the clubhouse for these players? Because it really feels like it's igniting a fire that might not be able to be put out. I mean, let me tell you guys, the the vibes in the Cardinals clubhouse are, they're pretty solid. I mean, this is a pretty even keeled, even tempered clubhouse, but you're seeing this kind of energy and resilience and overall just belief and conviction that the the Cardinals are going to be able to respond and win ballgames that you just straight up didn't see in the first half. I mean, you ask anyone, really, Nolan Arnado has been so passionate about this, this subject when he says, you know, we're just a different team than we were in the first half. The potential was always there. Albert said this yesterday as well. They were just too good of a team with too much talent to play so inconsistently. What you're seeing right now, I mean, over the last 16 games, Cardinals are 12-4. and four. Since the trade deadline, they've won nine of their last 12 games. I mean, this is a team that's firing all cylinders. We've talked about this many times. They're rejuvenated by their trade deadline acquisitions. They just feel like everything is going right. It certainly is important to get going, and especially looking at the overall strength of schedule in August. I mean, the, throughout the rest of the month, the Cardinals really only have one big series. That's a three-game weekend series versus the Braves at the stadium. So this is a really imperative time to lock up those wins. But what matters, I think, even more is that they carry this momentum through September. I know that the Cardinals are really riding a high right now, but this division with the Brewers is just still a little too close for comfort. So... It's good that they've really established themselves and they seem, again, to be a different team since the trade deadline, but they certainly have to carry it forward. Katie, over the weekend, the Cardinals starters threw 23 innings. They had 22 strikeouts and allowed a total of three earned runs. Those were the three guys that I think at this point we're all assuming they would be throwing in games one, two, and three in a playoff series if they had their ability to set it up the way that they wanted it to be. Did we learn anything about the way that the Cardinals rotation stacks up against legitimate contending teams based on what we saw this weekend? 
That's a great question. And I think what we've learned that has been so glaring is just how much a team that with playoff potential and a postseason caliber kind of roster depends on a healthy and consistent rotation. It's why getting Jordan Montgomery and Jose Quintana were so important. It's why there's so much building optimism that Jack Flaherty can return. If you get a, a healthy Jack Flaherty to start every five days in September, you certainly feel much better about your odds from a starting pitching standpoint. I think what you're looking at the Cardinals is that first half, it was pretty evident. It doesn't take really a rocket scientist to point this out that their weakness was starting pitching. They've really assured that I can't believe that the Yankees did not feel like Jordan Montgomery fit in a postseason rotation for them because he certainly looks to be exactly what the Cardinals needed. I think we also haven't really been talking about Quintana enough. He is just as stabilized. He has stabilized just as much as Montgomery has. You see Adam Wainwright and Miles Michaels, they've been dominant all season long. They finally have some help. I know there's, and I'm sure we'll get to this, I know there's a little bit of a question mark in the five spot of rotation, but that's something that theoretically can be solved in just a matter of a couple of weeks with Flaherty, a healthy Flaherty returning. So I think the main thing we can take away from the Cardinals is that with a consistent rotation, a reliable rotation, this is 100% a overall much higher caliber postseason team than they were before. To follow up on that, Katie, what is the plan for the next couple of weeks rotation-wise? Are we getting closer maybe to a Jack Flaherty return? I think so. Flaherty is going to start his second rehab assignment Tuesday at Springfield. I saw a little bit of confusion why he went from Memphis to Springfield and first started Memphis 30-plus innings or 31-plus innings, 30 pitches. Uh, That's only for logistics. Memphis is on the road this week. Springfield's at home. So rather than have him travel wherever the Redbirds are, uh, Cardinals opted to have him just the relatively short drive to Springfield. Now, when you're looking at how Flaherty lines up, he's not eligible to come off the IL until August 26th. That would give him at least two more rehab starts and really kind of build him up to reach that 80-pitch count, usually the ideal time to come off a rehab assignment. That would put him in line to start. Cardinals are tentatively planning for that August 29th through 31st series in Cincinnati, but they could ultimately opt to wait and bring him on September 1st when rosters expand and not have to make a corresponding move there. So, Certainly, while you want, and this is, I'm sure Jack would feel the same, you want good quality results in your stat line at a rehab assignment. By far, what's more important is that he's recovering and coming out healthy, has a good feel of his pitches. Fastball velocity was good, mid-90s in Memphis last week. Slider looked good, good movement there. So that, those are all things to keep in mind over the next couple of weeks with Jay Flair. Katie, yesterday they announced that tomorrow they're going to skip the start from Dakota Hudson, and instead they're going to push everybody else up a day. Uh, Quintana will get the start tomorrow, and then Montgomery, Ueno, and Michaelis from there. What do you expect them to do on Saturday? Because that's the next time when they would need to have that number five starter go for them. Is that for sure going to be Dakota Hudson, or do you think that there are others that could get an opportunity there? I... Do not anticipate it being Dakota Hudson. We asked Ali Marmel yesterday what the plan is for Dakota, and we also asked like the possible benefits of him moving to a long relief role. The Cardinals believe Dakota's best suited when he has a day to plan where he knows he's going to start. He knows when he's getting his touches. Long relief can be pretty unpredictable because you never know if a starter's going to do uh, two and two-thirds, ten and runs, and all of a sudden you're uh, really hoping someone can just get ready and, and cover some innings. So they're going to skip Dakota on Wednesday and go from there with the off day today. They could technically get away with a four-man rotation going forward through the week, but there is that doubleheader next Tuesday in Chicago they'll have to plan for. For Dakota right now, the plan is just skip a start so he can work on some things during his bullpen sessions. 
And we asked Dolly what exactly would the Cardinals like to see improvements on, and he said specifically production and approach against left-handed hitters. And I was a little taken aback because when you look at the splits against right-handed hitters, Dakota opposing hitters are hitting almost 300 with a 788 OPS off of him. When you look at left-handed hitters, it's a much better split, 217 with a 648 OPS. But 32 of Dakota's 50 walks this season have come against left-handed batters. That's what the Cardinals are really trying to fine-tune. The walk rate, the four-pitch non-competitive plate appearances to opposing hitters, especially against left-handers, that's what they're trying to improve on. I thought the pace was a little better in his last start. There needs to be an overall, I think, better execution in the strike zone. When Dakota's in the strike zone, it plays. It's just a matter of getting him there more consistently. Do you think that this is a situation where they could send him down and bring Zach Thompson back up? Would that would that make sense? I know that Thompson is technically not eligible, I think, for another few days at least. I think he was sent down on like the third or fourth, so later on this week. But is that something that would make sense? So that way they can work on those things down in AAA instead of him just sitting there without having a role on the team? You know, I wouldn't necessarily rule it out, but they were also pretty adamant that Zach Thompson's in Memphis working to become a, a, out of a relief role because that's something he has never really done in his career. So I'm not, I don't necessarily think they're looking for a spot starter on Saturday. They like Thompson, obviously. They're really high on him, and he's been able to contribute pretty well in his uh, time in the majors, but they would like Thompson to see more consistent outings in Memphis and just build up the reliever routine. Again, that's something he's never done before in his career. A little bit difficult to adjust to at the major league level. You certainly don't want to ask any rookie to do that. Um, they had a tall ask in, in asking Andre Pallante to do so, and he's been great too. It's another guy that could potentially spot start, but they just like him so much in the bullpen because he's been so effective there. So my best my best estimate would be four-man rotation through Saturday and kind of reevaluate from there. They certainly, though, will have to make a decision again by that doubleheader in Chicago. Katie, two more injured players that I'm curious, any updates on, one being Juan Yepes and two, Steven Matz. Yeah, let's start with Steven Matz. I think that's probably the quicker explanation. We caught up with Steven a couple of days ago. This is a dude that looks pretty optimistic. I mean, he had a grade three torn MCL, uh, somehow did not require season-ending surgery and has been really – I think enthralled by his uh, overall progression. He seems really optimistic. There is plenty of optimism that both from him and from the Cardinals that he could return this season, regular season. And, uh, you know, he's maybe starting a throwing program pretty soon. Right now he has a, a little bit of an advantage because he can keep his upper body and that left arm in shape without necessarily working too much or overextending the MCL. Rest and recovery is super important, especially with the grade three tear. But he's because it's a lower body injury, he's able to keep his arm relatively well conditioned. So Cardinals certainly feel like they caught a break in the grand scheme of things with Stephen Matz. Juan Yepes continues to play the field for Memphis in his rehab assignment. Now, I don't necessarily think, and this is interesting, to, I'd be interested to hear you guys' thoughts on this as well. I don't necessarily think that when the time for Yepes' rehab assignment is up, that it's a guarantee he returns to the Cardinals roster. We I mean, were just talking about feeling, this, Katie. Right? We're just right? talking I, I, about this. Okay, cool. I'm glad we're on the same page. <laughs> I mean, you think about where the Cardinals are in terms of their bench. Really, everyone seems to be producing relatively well. Lars Newbar has certainly shined in August. But when you think about the FS and there's a little bit of a throwing discomfort still, Cardinals aren't going to bring him back until they know he can play the field. But there's also, and Ollie Marmel's alluded to this before as well, a little bit of his rehab assignment is also going to be based on performance. If they think that his approach is not as fine-tuned as it could be if he's coming off the ball. This was something that he was doing in a couple games early in his rehab assignment. 
they could opt to leave him in AAA to continue progressing and getting that consistency. I don't necessarily think it is a given he returns to the lineup when his rehab assignment is over. Yeah, we are kind of theory on this was do you potentially wait to bring him up until the September call-ups and then you're able to keep Corey Dickerson on the roster you don't lose him for nothing and you then it's basically just a week later that you're able to add Juan Yepes to the lineup and then he's able to come up get himself right down in Memphis for the next couple of weeks and you make it work that way yeah absolutely and you know he's missed a significant amount of time it probably would be a little beneficial that he gets consistent at bats at the triple a level finds his comfort level finds his approach before being asked to produce in what should be a very uh legit september run for these st louis cardinals does that mean that we don't see alec burleson most likely this year i'm not sure i i think before i mean last season it was been really difficult at all with a without a universal dh to even consider him so the fact that there is that makes me feel a little bit more confident but i do want to stress that for as high as the cardinals are on burleson it is a lot to ask a rookie without any major league experience to come up and perform immediately and gain the, the same kind of results at the triple a level i know fans are rightfully say like oh well he's doing great in triple a i mean look at that bat yes of course but there is and you guys know this there is such a steep difference and the level of production at AAA than the major leagues and asking a rookie to be able to come up and instantly produce in the most high leverage point of the regular season is a really tall order. I think the Cardinals already have enough rookies and, and Nolan Gorman, Brendan Donovan, Andre Pallante, of course, I don't think we can say enough good things about him, that have really adapted well to that pressure. But I do think there's a lot to be said to having a veteran presence that has been through the ups and downs and and really the ultimate pivotal weight of September and Corey Dickerson, Tyler O'Neill, those guys all know what it takes to win in September. So this is not to write off Alec Burleson, clearly an exceptional talent the Cardinals are excited about. I would just be a little cautionary on expectations if they do call him up. She's Katie Wu. Find her work over at The Athletic. She had a great piece over the weekend on Jordan Montgomery showing everything that Card- the Cardinals wanted to see from him in his most recent start. And then yesterday wrote about Albert Pujols uh, and what he was able to do on Sunday with, as she said earlier, a vintage performance that feels like it keep ha- keeps happening even in his age 42 season. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. Enjoy your day off and we'll talk with you again soon. Thanks, guys. Have a uh, possum week. <sighs> Love it, Katie. Love it, Katie. She's a legend. Thanks, Katie. That's Katie Wu here on 101 ESPN. Have a little more respect to her when she gives you gold like that. I'm going to the Cardinals game tomorrow out of Bush Stadium. Well, I hope you don't have a possum game. Hey, well, I'm going to be there with them. And uh, <laughs> I will have some choice words for Katie when we see her out at the ballpark. Should be. You're hilarious. <laughs> that should be the only words that you provide to her. Do you have any quick thoughts about the? Yeah, I don't agree Dakota with Dakota Hudson. I don't agree with her at all. Situation. I think Dakota Hudson will get the other start, and I think Ollie basically with painted Memphis? that picture. I've he got ba- a tinfoil theory. On he basically going on. said, "I want you to work on the lefties. We're going to skip you, so you're going to get that next start." Okay. Um, watch. I think he was presented options, and he went skip. Zach right Thompson. Away is eligible to come off or come up from the minors on Friday. You don't need another starter until Saturday. Zach Thompson is not a starter. Boom. Roasted. Jake Woodford is. He ain't starting. I think Jake Woodford starts that game on Saturday against Arizona. Six pack on it. Yeah, I do a six pack on that. Okay. Uh, So I think what happens is Jake Woodford ends up being inserted into the rotation as the number five starter for like 10 days. And then eventually Jack Flaherty just takes that over. But in the meantime, 
You option down Dakota Hudson on Friday. That's when you bring back up Zach Thompson. You don't need extra bullpen arms for the next three days because everybody is completely fresh other than Ryan Helsley. And even he, at that point, will be fresh enough that you can use him in this series. You're good on arms for the next three days. And then on Friday, you make the moves. And that's the way that you kind of align yourself moving forward. And if Hudson looks excellent down the stretch, you bring him back up for September. If he doesn't, see ya. Good luck. Enjoy yourself down in Memphis. They have great barbecue this time of year. Somebody told you see ya for the rest of the week. Coming up in about 15 minutes. Are the Cardinals more than just a dark horse contender in the National League? MLB.com's power rankings made me wonder about that. We'll get into that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, who, baby, you are going to want to hear what Milwaukee Sports Radio sounded like earlier today. We listened to it so you don't have to. We'll play you the best of it next here on 101 ESPN. Awesome. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Seven out of the next 10 are against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And if you struggle during this stretch, luckily you have a little bit of a reprieve with the Cubs in there. Am I supposed to feel confident going up against the Chicago Cubs? Because I felt confident going up against the Pittsburgh Pirates and Cincinnati Reds, and they walked out of that one in five last time. So so who am I supposed to feel confident about them beating at this point? Oh, that was Toby. He was going through it this morning on 1250 <laughs> a.m. The fan up in Milwaukee. Toby was miserable. I spent an hour this morning listening to Milwaukee sports radio and Cardinals fans. Let me tell you, you broke them. You absolutely broke Brewers fans over the weekend. And more specifically, Albert Pujols broke them on Sunday. His home run, the second one yesterday, was the final straw for Brewers fans. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. I've got four different callers that I would like to take a listen to with what they had to say earlier today. And God, I am so glad they took callers today in Milwaukee. Here's what they had to say. Let's start out with caller number one. The Cardinals are not going to look back. Not with the lineup they have. Mm-hmm. And, and you made, you made that picture yesterday. What's his name? <laughs> Michaelis. Michaelis. You made him look like Bob Gibson. <laughs> Out there, yes, yeah. Yeah. I mean, really. Michaelis can be as good as he wants to be. There's only one, two, maybe three pitchers who can even be in the same conversation as Corbin Burns. And yet that's what these guys look like every time out against the Brewers. Did I hear that correctly? Did that fan compliment the Cardinals lineup? Yeah. Did he compliment the Cardinals oh. offense? Dude, the, the Brewers fans are super envious of the Cardinals. And and you all got angry at BK and I when we comped Carpenter to Michaelis. How about Bob Gibson <laughs> yeah. to Michaelis? My goodness. How many times have we heard that That's in so, St. Louis? That sounded like a, a caller on our show from like, May when the Cardinals were struggling. July when they were going through that swoon, that mid-season swoon. Or honestly, the first week of August. (laughs) There's a lot of times (laughs) when you hear that. All right, let's go to caller number two. I think this was Bill. Toby, when you saw that lineup on Friday with Mike Rasu batting fourth, (laughs) do you think that Craig Craig Council is trying to win these games and be serious? I mean, come on. But And then, Toby, this is what Craig Council will say. The lineups don't matter. Then why are we batting Christian Yelich leadoff every game? He's not... He's not consistent with that. You know, he says, oh, lineups don't matter, but we got to have Christian batting lead, batting leadoff every your, game. Your manager wasn't trying to win the game when he put Taylor Rogers in the game against Albert Pools. 
they are legitimately asking, is our manager trying to win the baseball game? <laughs> they're, they're honestly arguing. And Christian Yelich has we, not been good in the last, what is it, 23 at-bats for him? Yeah, he's over. I think over his last 23 but with like pri- three walks. But prior to that, the man was getting on base at a very high clip. He was excellent. And who's the guy that. that he made mentioned in the in the cleanup spot? Mike Brosu? Brosu? Bro, I, I got to be honest with you. Bro. wasn't I wasn't particularly familiar with this gentleman's work, and Just then he came into the, the game the over pros. the weekend, and he was batting cleanup behind Yelich, Adamas, and McCutcheon. Not a great sign of things for your offense, although he is having a really productive season. I honestly. just think Bill's looking for six sellies with the boys, and we're not getting any. All right, this is a good one. Uh, let's go to John. Rogers cannot pitch on high leverage. Come on. That, and Pujols, thank God we don't play them more, or else, or else Bond's record would be in jeopardy. <laughs> because, I, honest to God, how do you let this guy go deep on you twice? Mm-hmm. Did, didn't you get the memo when he tattooed the first one? I mean, absolutely hit driver. Holy smoke. Man, that was that was the most Milwaukee phone call I've ever heard in my life. So, remember uh, Ryan Fraud? Yeah. yeah. That joined the was show? Was that him? Was that him? Is that is this him? Because this sounds just like the guy that calls into our show. Can, well, we can check him out on TikTok if we want to <laughs> yeah. cop the audio together, apparently. This sounds identical to the voice that we heard. And he, and he brought up at the end the driver conversation. TMI. You're saying my, Albert's TMI. <laughs> my God, if Pujols was hitting against the Brewers every day, they'd be fighting with Bonds' record. All right, we've got one more. This one comes from Joey. I am... Fed up with this season, man. It's awful. And there are so many personalities out there that are still pushing this Brewers team as like, oh, we can do it. And I'm not naming names on that. This is like a very broad view here. People, you have to realize this team is bad. It is bad and you continuing to show support for this bad team will produce nothing for the future guys the brewers are 61 and 52 they are a game and a half out of first place in the division and their fans are saying this is a bad baseball team that is done. They've got no shot to be able to do anything. Hey, joking aside, put myself in the Milwaukee fan situation after that god-awful trade deadline, I'd still feel this way after a game and a half out of first place. 100%. In fact, can, can I make a suggestion, a request for our show? Can we start taking live phone calls after? Come on. That's fantastic. No? You don't want to? Listeners? I love you. You're great, and we appreciate everything that you do. I met one of you guys. I, I apologize. For, I forget the gentleman's name, but I met one of you at oh, Men's well, Warehouse you yesterday. You can't pull that <laughs> off. He was great. Getting married soon. Congratulations, young man. Sports radio callers are the worst. <laughs> I'm sorry. Exhibit A, B, C, and D from what we just heard in Milwaukee. Now, now. If we have a series in St. Louis, like what they just experienced with Albert Pujols just crushing all of their hopes and dreams of potentially winning this division. If we have one of those, I'm in. I will absolutely take calls. Okay. Who would be that guy now? What do you mean? Who would be that guy that's like a legend that's older and he comes in and he crushes our dreams here in the loo? I love that guy. Miguel Cabrera. One of the Cardinals played the Tigers next year. No. Votto ne- late this year. Votto's done that plenty. We don't need to see that anymore. 
Uh, Madison Baumgartner coming in and shoving over the weekend would be pretty disappointing. What if Pete Alonzo whoops up on an, in an NLCS? You know what it would be? It would be next week when the Cardinals have four or five straight games against the Cubs. The Cardinals lose like four out of five. If that well, happens... Who's the, guy, who's the guy that tips it over the top? Who's the selling point in that? Like, There's no guy like, who's Kyle, the selling point in Kyle Hendricks? <laughs> yeah, but I know we're not going to hit him. <laughs> no, but that's the selling point. If Drew Smiley pitched the final <laughs> game of that series and he was is, the is um is what's his face Zach Davies on their team still no if Zach Davies goes out and pitches a gym <laughs> fine I won't it, make it, the suggestion you know what it would be the Nationals the Nationals oh, yeah. with Luke with like this. Nelson Cruz crushes it yeah oh yeah in in early September they just brought up C J Abrams the guys that they got in the Juan Soto trade they all contributed in a meaningful way that would probably be the equivalent <laughs> from the three one four yet all of those radio callers still have better takes than B K I mean that's that's true that's very true. Hey, BK's been saying the Brewers are a bad team for a while now, too. You've been backing the Brewers for a while. Hey, oh, they're I, not gonna I, roll I, over and for just all die. my Milwaukee fans out there. I stayed on the Cardinals bandwagon a long time last year. And when I left, they went on a 17-game winning streak. So there's got always on. hoping, And when boy, BK got on. They got knocked out in the wild card game. got knocked out in the wild card. They got one hit in the wild card game. From 6-3-6. Rich BK doesn't want to associate himself <laughs> with us commoners. That's why <laughs> That's he doesn't true. take calls on the None radio. of you have Peloton, so BK won't, will not associate himself with you. <laughs> fair fair and justified tough but fair rich bk i love the fact that we broke milwaukee oh it's the best it feels awesome anytime I, you break you it, know i love nothing more than hearing sports fans cry on the radio it's the best <laughs> you do love eating tears <laughs> it's the greatest coming up in 15 minutes we'll dive into the junk drawer but next are the cardinals more than just a dark horse candidate in the national league this might be a segment that we would otherwise take callers but we're not doing that next year on 101 espn this team is Bad. Holy smoke. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Than just a dark horse contender in the National League. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll talk about yesterday as a potential jump, jumping off point for two Cardinals in particular. But Alex, I was looking this up earlier. When you go all the way back to July 10th, since then, that was the series where the Cardinals took the last two games against the Phillies, and then they had that first game against the Dodgers, and that was right before the All-Star break. Since then, the Cardinals are 18-9. and nine. That is the third best record in the National League behind only the Dodgers and the Mets. The Braves are behind them. They're 19-11 in this stretch. The Phillies are at 17-12. and The Padres are at 16-15. and And then the Brewers Josh Hader. are now a game under 500 since July t- uh, 10th. Team that traded Josh Hader. 13-14. Uh, that might be the everybody loses trade when we look back on it. The Cardinals have the third best record in all of baseball in this stretch. Does that indicate to you that this team is more than just a dark horse contender, or are they still in that dark horse candidacy in your mind? I think some people will keep them in the dark horse because they're not the Dodgers. They're not the sexy name like the Padres or the Braves, despite the Cardinals being better than those teams. 
But I think for a larger sum of people, after what took place this weekend, and you put that together with what they did against the Yankees, and I know the Colorado series went different, but I think they've I think they've exited that dark horse category, and I think they've put themselves in the National League contenders list. They're better than the Padres now. Like now that Fernando Tatis Jr. is not coming back this season, they are better than the offense that is put together with the San Diego Padres, and I think they have. Well, I know they have better pitching than what the Padres have. So they're better than that team. And a couple of weeks ago, our list had the Cardinals fifth fighting with the Brewers. Since then, they beat the Brewers. They're better than the Padres. And as you just mentioned, they have a better record than the Atlanta Braves over this last stretch. So, yeah, I think you're out of the dark horse category now. And for me, I'm putting them on the next tier down from the Dodgers because the Dodgers are just untouchable. Agreed. But I think it's the Atlanta Braves and the St. Louis Cardinals now, and now San Diego's behind them. See, I still think they're dark horses. I, I don't think they moved much in terms of my expectations for them after the weekend. Look, the weekend was great. Took two or three from Milwaukee, a team that you're competing with for the NL Central. But honestly, Milwaukee may not even be a playoff team. Like, I, I, I'm not sure that you'd move much for me in terms of the needle when I look at them and the rankings of the NL. I still think they're behind the Padres. As of today, they would not be a playoff team. Who, Milwaukee? Yeah, yeah. Milwaukee's out right now. I think they're game and a half or two games back of the Padres for that sixth spot. Phillies. Phillies in there, too? Mm-hmm. I knew they were in. I didn't realize the they were Braves, in Braves, Padres, and Phillies right now. Is There's the one thing I know about the Phillies. I, I think the one team I would— play defense. That's true. Keith Hernandez will tell you about Amen it. to that. Uh, I, I think the one team that I would put in that playoff picture that we're looking at, the only team I'd put the Cardinals ahead of right now would probably be Philly. And I know that you lost the season series to Philly, but mm-hmm. you didn't have this rotation to my mind. Now who's backing the Cardinals more? So you oh, take the Padres yeah. over the Cardinals? Yeah, I still like without the Padres. Tatis Jr. Yeah, I mean they were good without Tatis Jr. Were they? Yeah, I I mean that lineup is loaded. That lineup is still loaded. And I I like their pitching. I think their pitching is probably around the same level as you. And then your bullpens are going to kind of fight it off. But I think the bullpens are even. I I just like the Padres lineup better, and I think it will play better in a postseason series than what I've seen from the Cardinals when they go up against the top right-handers like Joe Musgrove, you Darvish. Cardinals probably aren't going to hit those guys in the postseason. Well, I'm convinced that Juan Soto, Josh Bell, uh, Manny Machado, Brandon Jury, who's had an incredible year, Jake Cronenworth. Like, I, I think all those guys are going to play that lineup out, and they're going to play really well, and they're going to they're have a chance to go on a run with that lineup. I think they're a depleted group now because they've been hoping and praying that they're going to get Fernando Tatis Jr. back, and I think they're a team that, yeah, they've got a lot of talent, but I also think that all of their expectations just took a massive blow. See, I would generally think that too like oh man that's got to be a huge blow for the locker room the way the locker room was way comments were coming out of that locker room I don't know if there was much of a like air let out of the balloon I mean it mostly seemed like those guys almost I don't I don't want to say this but it almost sounded like they expected this like oh Tatis got busted doing something they shouldn't have been well that's not shocking we've seen that before like that's the way that's the vibes that I got from the Padres just hearing some of the players speaking about it so I still put the Cardinals fifth in my NL ranking in terms of where they rank in the playoff teams I think we overrate their offense I do too so I love Josh Bell and Drury is a big time pickup for them. But when you look up at their lineup, here's the list of players on the season that have an OPS over 755 for them, which is above average. Basically, Manny Machado, Juan Soto, end of list. At, that is not some like otherworldly lineup compared to what I would expect it to be on the Cardinals. If I go by the same threshold of a 755 OPS on the season. Goldie, Arenado, Pujols, Donovan, and Gorman, and Yepes are all at that level or above. And getting very close to that at this point is Lars Newtbar as well. Like it, 
as much as we look at the names on the backs of the jerseys and we say to ourselves, okay, that's better than what the Cardinals have to offer. If you just strip the names and you look at the back of their baseball card and say, this is what these two lineups have produced so far this year. Cardinals lineup is better than what the Padres have available to them right now. So I I think I would take the Cardinals over the Padres, although the Padres starting pitching is better than what you have available to you. I think it's closer now than it was certainly before the trade deadline. I think the Cardinals are still in that second tier or battling to get into rather that second tier. I'm with you, Alex. I think the Dodgers are number one with a bullet. What they have done this season is nothing short of remarkable. Their run differential on the season is two times better than the Mets, who are second best in the National League. It's ridiculous what the Dodgers are doing. They're not just beating teams. They are pummeling them right now other than yesterday. And that was by the Kansas City Royals, by the way, who beat them. Um, But after that, you want to talk about the Cardinals? The conversation that I am interested to see them in is with the Mets and the Braves. Because I still think those two teams are better than you. But I think the Cardinals at least have a fighting chance. And that's what we're going to find out over the next few weeks is what do you do against these bad opponents on your schedule? Because it's easy to get up for these games against the Yankees or the Brewers on a weekend series where you got (laughs) 45,000 people in the stands. These games feel like a playoff environment. It's going to be like Tuesday through Thursday when you're playing against Colorado three straight days. It's going to be like this weekend when you're down in Arizona and there's 15 to 20,000 fans in the stands. Or when you go out to Cincinnati and they've got nobody there because their team's given up. Same thing is true for uh, later on in the season when you're um, going out to Pittsburgh at the end of the year. What do those series feel like? That's what we're going to learn about the Cardinals over the next two weeks before they play Atlanta at, in late um, August. That. That's going to be a measuring stick series, but until then, we're going to find out what the real medal of this team is yeah. when they when they have less to play for, honestly. Yeah, because when you look at other teams, the Mets, the Braves, the Padres. They well, beat up on much, these opponents. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like the Dodgers don't miss when they take on bad teams, nor do the Atlanta Braves, nor do the New York Mets. So if you want to be in that conversation, you got to knock around the Colorado Rockies. You got to knock around the Pittsburgh Pirates. And if you don't, then my opinion starts to change once again. Yeah, you got to. If you don't take care of business here, then it's going to be tough to put you in the category of a top five team, honestly, in the National League. Because, as you mentioned, those teams do take care of business. They they don't really have those letdowns. I mean, that's why Milwaukee's not in this conversation. I mean, Milwaukee coming out of the All Star break dropped what was it five or six to the Reds and the Pirates. So yeah, you can't have those kind of series. And I know that's it's t- it, that's tough to say, but you cannot have letdown series, especially now that the rotation is fixed. Now that you have a solid. One through four, and I know that fifth spot's a question mark, but now that you feel comfortable with your one through four, where honestly before you had, what, three guys that you truly trusted, you, you can't you can't lose any series now to some of these teams. It, it just can't happen. The thing about it is, I mean, they have hung around with these contending teams when they've played against them. I mean, you beat the Padres, you hung with the Tampa Bay Rays, you beat the, the, the Yankees, you beat the Brewers. The Mets series, I mean, that was a much different time than when you played them or if you play them now, considering your your rotation and what you have. And the same can be said about the Atlanta Braves. And we're going to find out when they take on Atlanta in a couple of weeks. But you've hung with all of these contending teams that we've looked at and said, these are the teams you got to beat up against. These are the teams you measure up against. It really does come down to you finding a way to exploit that lead when the Brewers have to play the Dodgers. You got to beat up on the bad teams to extend that lead. And to give a brief description of what we're talking talking about here the team Atlanta against teams that are at or below 500 they've won 17 of their last 20 games against those specific types of opponents you look at what the Mets have done against those opponents since the all-star break they've won 
eight of their last nine games against them. Eight of the last nine that they've played against teams at or below 500, they've won. They dominate. They don't just win these games. They go in and they sweep series and they take three out of the four consecutive series. They win three out of the four games. Like that's, that's the kind of winning percentage that the Cardinals are going to need to post for us to start believing in them as being more. Yes, it's big to win the series against the Brewers. It's big to sweep the series against the Yankees. Now go prove it again. It's got to continue to happen throughout the rest of the season. Coming up in 10 minutes, was yesterday a jumping off point? Speaking of being able to do that, these two guys are going to be big. Was yesterday a big jumping off point for O'Neill and Carlson? We'll get into that at 1 o'clock. The Junk Drawer is coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex, what do you have for us today? So we all know the great one, Wayne Gretzky, beloved here in St. Louis. Well, apparently someone's suing him right now over a claim that he made when he was a player. And I just think this is kind of strange. Claim to be the goat? <laughs> no, I don't know how you would sue him for Did that. Kick back. Really? I mean, that Come was on. that. Hey, credit where credit's due. I know it was good. That was but... awesome. Do goats kick though? I think yeah, goats headbutt. No, I think you're thinking of horses and donkeys. Yeah. yeah. As Jamie River says, you donkey. Anyway, so this alleged Gretzky's individual is is suing Wayne Gretzky for $10 million because apparently Wayne lied about how he lost 35 pounds by chewing gum. Oh, this guy tried to go with it? This, this guy tried <laughs> to go with it. I guess he tried to start a, a company called OMG Gum. And it did not go well. And so now... Wait, this guy... This guy... Followed, followed, heard what Wayne Gretzky said. Yeah. And decided, you know what? It's an excellent idea. I'm going to start a weight loss company. Yep. And it's going to be about chewing gum. It's called, and people are going to lose a bunch of weight as a result. called OMG Gum. Uh, Overreacting... Oh, I'm sorry. Overeating Management Gum. And he's, the claim is that the company went, it tanked, and he's out $10 million. That's what happens when you try and start a diet plan over one athlete who said lose, he lost weight by only chewing gum. Oh, no. I, I also don't understand how this can be a lawsuit, but on the flip side of that, I do know that somebody sued McDonald's over being burned because they spilled McDonald's coffee on them. So... In all reality, you could sue over anything these days. Oh, here we go. Here's an important detail. Sparks, uh, Sparks, the guy that started this company, has alleged that Wayne Gretzky used the lie to boost the company's stock, which he, quote, then purchased under his family's name, end quote. Sparks, claiming he had no idea that Wayne was lying about the weight loss, says that he reinvested both money and services into the company. But when Wayne eventually admitted he had fabricated the weight loss, it caused the company to tank 
and hit Sparks hard in his wallet. He is now out $10 million and is suing Wayne for the comfort. The one thing that that Sparks, uh, I'm sure, never realized is that no other weight loss company lies about losing weight when they use their product. Mm -mm. Nobody lies about when you use their product. It's all very well regulated. Right. And, And who would have thought that just chewing gum wouldn't work by losing weight? And did you really invest $10 million into the company? Didn't need this from the text line today. It's a beautiful Monday afternoon. Didn't BK lose weight by chewing soy leaves? No, he, did, he got on his Peloton. Yeah, he was on his Peloton, and it was soy milk, not soy leaves. Yeah. Get it right, text line. Jeez. From the 314. <laughs> I didn't know that it was going to go this way, but I love it. The gum guy didn't do any research before starting a company about chewing gum being <laughs> leading That's to... What? The guy just heard Wayne Gretzky say, hey, I lost weight, Lou, using gum. Oh, you know what? I'm going to start a company with this. I wish I was in the room with, what's his name, Sparks? I wish I was in the room with him when he heard that quote. I know. Light bulb, light bulb. (laughs) We can start a company on this. If that's the case, every time BK says invest all of your money on the Tennessee Titans in a preseason football game, Sparks would be finding other people's mortgage to spend. They lost that game. Didn't you remember that? It didn't go well. Uh, Titans you might, lost. You might have a lawsuit. The Ravens won yeah, 21 consecutive someone, playoff, or preseason games as a result. Someone's going to have a lawsuit towards you because you told them that they would win money. And no, you didn't. no, no, no. There's disclaimers that play throughout the day-to-day. It's it's embedded into this radio station. I'm pretty sure on that. BK, don't, you, don't look it up, but I'm pretty sure it's embedded, encrypted did, into our audio. But did you say the disclaimer? I don't need to. It's already in there. If you listen to my terrible takes and you assume that all of it is factual, that's no. on you. Hey, that is not on me. Hey, man, T-Bone's got terrible takes. Yeah, we, we all do. That's kind of the thing with the okay, show. So I, this also went a different direction. Someone is actually arguing with me on the text line saying that the uh, lawsuit from the lady that sued McDonald's because she got burned by the coffee was a reasonable lawsuit. It, it was. Have you ever read about that? Yeah. Hot coffee. It was like scalding hot in a way that was completely uncalled for. When you go to Starbucks, you don't assume that if you drop the coffee on yourself, uh, coffee on yourself, it's going to give you like first degree burns. I mean, I assume my coffee's hot when I order it. Correct. Not there is a hot. difference between hot and burning my skin. I mean, it came fresh out of the pot, didn't it? What? Your coffee's not that hot at home. You yeah, go home, you pour your fresh brewed coffee yeah. onto your skin, and you let us know how it feels. It hurts. It's not going to feel good, you but it's not going to You're give right. you first I'll, degree I'll burns. I'll sue myself when I do that. Then. Please do. Coming up in 15 minutes, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for in or out. But next... Was yesterday a jumping off point for Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson? God, we really hope it is. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Drives it out to deep center. Davis back. We're tied. Solo home run. Tyler O'Neill in the air out to deep left off the bat of Carlson. It is gone. Bush Stadium going nuts. Carlson breaks the 2-2 tie. There's certain hits, homers that are extremely meaningful for the player to build confidence. And uh, both those guys have been, to your point, searching and need something to fall in and uh, something hopefully that they can build off of. 
Those two guys, Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill, if the Cardinals are going to be the team that they believe they can be, they're going to be super important. They're going to be critical for the for the Cardinals to be that team. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Prior to yesterday's game, Dylan Carlson was four for his last 35. In that stretch, he had eight strikeouts and was hitting a total of 114. His on-base percentage was 220. Tyler O'Neill, in his last 15 games prior to yesterday, he was batting 122 with 18 strikeouts in less than 50 at-bats. That's not what you want out of those two guys. They can't continue hitting that way because the the Cardinals need their outfielders to step up. And if they don't, you're going to start seeing other guys get some of those opportunities because the Cardinals need somebody out there to be able to start contributing, whether it's in front of both Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt or behind those two players. Alex, do you think yesterday was a jumping off point for O'Neill and Carlson? I think it could be, but it's hard for me to sit here and believe that it will be. Because they've struggled, both have struggled a lot. And a game like that, it does provide confidence, but I guess it goes beyond the confidence side of things. Like, are they 100% physically to be able to break out of the slump? If you look at the recency, I mean, Tyler O'Neill specifically, he had that game against the Boston Red Sox where he went three for four, and then he followed that up for a three for four game. And then you felt like he was about to break out because it was back-to-back games where he was starting to show uh, production. And then the injury. And then the injury took in. And then he came back from that. And then between the Cincinnati Red series, I, I, he had a hit in every one of those games. A couple of those, he had a lot of RBIs, a home run. And then the injury took place four games later. So every time he has started to build on something, he has gotten injured. So if he doesn't get injured beyond this, yeah, maybe I can believe that he's about to break through it. But I think I need to see one more game like that performance against Milwaukee. Maybe not the home run, maybe not the the big-time hit, but just more on-base production to make me feel like he's broken through. I need a lot more than a game. I need, like, a couple of weeks. Yeah. I I hope this is the jumping-off point for him. And if I'm being completely honest, it needs to be the jumping-off point for Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill because you're right, PK. This offense can't reach its ceiling, and the Cardinals can't go to late October without – Carlson and O'Neill going. They just they just can't. They they need O'Neill to get back to his form of last year where he's got the power and he's hitting for average. And if you're Carlson, you need Carlson to just get to a point where he's hitting around that 260 with a little bit of pop in his bat. And I'm not saying by the end of the year his average needs to be 260. I'm saying that's what he needs to be back at when he's playing right. That's what he looks like. He's effective on both sides of the plate. He's got a little bit of pop and hits for some decent average. That's what the Cardinals need. Otherwise, they just don't have the answers internally to fill those holes. They, they they don't. And they need that to be at the top of the lineup. So when you look at the Cardinals lineup, you go one through four is really solid. I personally think they still need someone to get going in that five spot to kind of clean up behind Goldie and Arnado against right-handed pitching. Maybe that is O'Neill, and eventually he gets bumped back down to that five spot. Or maybe it ends up becoming somebody else. I, I, but O'Neal and Carlson are definitely the two guys that need to be highlighted as the key factors that will be driving this Cardinals offense to reaching its ceiling. We all know what Goldie and Arnato are. We still don't know what Carlson and O'Neal can be for the team this year. Let's play a fun over-under game. Is Tyler O'Neal's batting average over or under the person that I'm about to say? Tyler O'Neal's batting average over or under what we saw this year out of Harrison Bader? Under. Under. Under uh, Harrison Bader was at a 256 batting average when he ended up going on the IL. Is Tyler O'Neill's slugging percentage over or under what we've seen from Paul DeYoung so far this year? 
on the season. This is not just since he's been Over back. Over or under DeYoung's slugging percentage? Slugging percentage. Just saying you brought it up under. Yeah, I'll say it's under. It's under. Paul DeYoung's slugging percentage on the season is 376. Is Tyler O'Neill's on-base percentage under. above or below Andrew Kisner's on-base percentage on the season? I would really hope over, but you brought it's it under. up, so I'm going under. Under. It's at, uh, for what it's worth, Andrew Kisner's on-base percentage on the season is at 303. Yeah, but how many at-bats compared to Tyler O'Neill's? Uh, he's had close, 50 actually. fewer at-bats than Tyler O'Neill has on the season. Tyler O'Neill is now batting 220 with a 285 on base percentage and a 350 slugging percentage. There will come a time in the next couple of weeks if he doesn't snap out of this or he is no longer your best option in left field. That is just, it's too bad offensively. You can't have that guy playing for you every single day because he's an automatic out. And going into yesterday, it was worse than it had been at any previous point in time over the course of the season. I think Tyler O'Neill can snap out of this. He had started to hit the ball really hard again, and that's the most important factor with him. If he's hitting the ball hard and he's going the other way, that's when you know Tyler O'Neill is getting closer to getting things back on track mechanically. But for this team to be the best version of themselves, they either need Tyler O'Neill to get it going in left field or they need somebody else to take that spot. Who are you playing in left field? Uh, I would consider bringing up Alec Burleson. I would consider giving Juan Yepes some of those opportunities in left. You're I would taking con- a massive blow defensively, then. 100%. But at some point, I've got to be able to make it. Right now, you're taking a massive blow offensively. And for this team... But you're still winning games with him not struggling, and look what happened in that Milwaukee Brewers game when you took a massive blow defensively. Sure. And I, I'm making a bet that my upgrade offensively is going to be more like maybe Brendan Donovan just starts more in left field for me. So I would turn to against right-handed pitching. I, I would just I would consider making that a situation where those guys are getting platooned. And if Dylan Carlson doesn't start hitting against right-handed pitching, you've got to start considering doing that in center field as well. There's going to come a point in time where you've got to go with your best dudes that give you the best chance to win. It is no longer about here again, not now. Right now, give them the next couple of weeks. But once we get into September and you're in the stretch run, and man, they're going to be in a tight race. I know that the Brewers over the weekend, this was a series where the Cardinals are feeling good today. Still only a game and a half in terms of what separates them in this division. There's going to be a race down the stretch between these two teams. You're going to have to go with the guys that give you the best chance to win. And if O'Neal and Carlson are not hitting consistently, there's going to come a point in time where against specific pitchers, they don't give you the best chance to win on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I mean, you you need the offense without question, and you can't have two automatic outs because that's the biggest issue with this team. And I don't know how often this team's going to – they might find themselves in a situation like they did against the Dodgers last year in the wild card if you're not getting these guys hitting. But, man, you want to talk about a massive step back defensively. You really have to weigh, if you're Ollie, is it more beneficial to get these bats in so we can get more offense? But what is that going to look like defensively? Because if you're talking about Carlson and O'Neal out of this lineup, that outfield scares the hell out of me. That scares me more than Giovanni Gallegos coming into a closing situation. Because I I don't think there's a – I'm not super concerned about Gio right now. But, I mean, how how many times can we watch these guys struggle offensively before we think that it might be worth looking at making a change? And, by the way, this is just against right-handed pitching because those guys are still doing okay for the most part against lefties. Enough that it – like, especially Carlson. Carlson's actually been pretty good this year against lefties. It's the righties that are a problem for him. And Tyler O'Neill is respectable enough against left-handed pitching. That'll keep him out there for the potential uh, to have some of that pop in the lineup when you got a lefty on the mound. But against righties, I, you've got to start getting production from those two spots in the order. So if that means 
putting Lars Newbar in center field against righties and batting him leadoff, so be it, man. And eventually, if that means getting Alec Burleson up here to be able to give you better at-bats against right-handed pitching, all right, cool. If that means you go with Brendan Donovan in the other spot in your order, in in left field potentially, all right. Eventually, you've got to be able to get production offensively. I know you're definitely taking a step back defensively. That is the case. But you have a primarily ground ball pitching staff, and that means that you're putting a priority on your infield defense. And you have arguably the best infield defense in baseball again with what you have right now with Goldie, Edmund, DeYoung, and Arenado. I'm good with that. In the outfield, I think Newt Barr is every bit as good in center field as what you've had so far from Carlson. I, I don't think that there's a significant drop-off defensively there. And really what we're talking about is the two corners. And if you're getting nothing offensively from those guys, I can't leave you in there just because you're good defensively. I can make, I can understand taking one of those guys out, but not both of them. I mean, you got to have one of those guys in there for defensive purposes. If you're going to take the other out... like Against if, righties? Yeah. I, 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 just, I, think Carl, I think Carlson, no matter his struggles, is a lock in center. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to keep one of those, those players in the game no matter what. I mean, I understand it's against righties, but let's just go down the hypothetical path. You're matching up against the Mets in the playoffs, and you're taking on a Scherzer and DeGrom. And you're telling me you're going to sit Carlson and O'Neal? I just, I, I well, don't. I, I, so this is why it gets really tough for me is like, what are those guys doing at that time? Are they, are they like they well, were Well, let's the just last... say they're doing what they're doing right now. Then yeah, I'm sitting them. There's no way. I would start Carlson in center. What, what I would do, I think Carlson's a lock in center field. I think he's your best defensive center fielder. And that's the position I is can't lose. Is he significantly lose. better in center field than Lars Newbar? They put Tyler so. O'Neill in center over Lars Newbar when Carlson yeah. didn't play. I think Carlson's better. I think Carlson is significantly better in center field and cannot be touched to move out of center field. Like to me, there are. Two spots that I'm willing to, if you want to call it. To me, a lineup of nine can have two spots that I look at and I can say, okay, it's fine if there's no production, in my opinion. Now, with that being said, I'm not sure Carlson should be hitting in the top two, but with that being said, I think there's two positions. And the way I'd look at it for the Cardinals lineup, it would be Catcher and Yachty. He's there defensively, minded first, and working the pitching staff, and it would be Carlson. The guy that I would take out of the lineup would be Edmund at second. Well, now you're getting significantly worse at second. But to me, second base is not as primary a... But defensive it's more position than, than right or left. I, but be, it's not as important as center. That's what I'm okay. saying. I'd be fine I would sitting be fine top. with O'Neill and left. Yeah. I what I would be fine with is I would be okay with taking. I would keep O'Neill in left. I would keep Carlson in center, and I would probably take Edmund out of the lineup. And I would go Gorman second, and I'd go Donovan see, DH. I would take O'Neill out of the lineup because they've played a majority of the season without Tyler O'Neill, and they can figure that out. I could take Tyler O'Neill out of the lineup. Tommy, you got a lot of options with Tommy Edmund, where whether it's Nolan Gorman, Brennan Donovan, like. I understand you are taking a step backwards defensively, but I would be fine taking Tyler O'Neill out and putting somebody in left field if he's not performing, but you cannot take O'Neill and Carlson out. The reality is this. All of what we just said is why they need these two guys to get yeah. going. Because if you don't get at least one of them going offensively, then this is where the hard decisions start to come in. And you've got to say, okay, we're robbing Peter to pay Paul here. What do, what are we comfortable with giving up defensively in order to improve this offense? Or are we not comfortable giving up anything defensively to improve the offense? Because you're either going to stay really good defensively, which right now they are, with those two guys out there, or you're going to try to improve the offense, but you're pulling away from that defense, which might hurt your pitching staff, which was your point for the game on Saturday, Alex. 
if these guys don't get it going, that's going to eventually be a conversation. So what the Cardinals need, get these guys going, man. Mm -hmm. Have yesterday be a jumping off point so we don't have to talk about this anymore. And then you go into the playoffs, you're feeling good about where Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson are at, and they're just pushed into the lineup every day. Maybe they're not batting leadoff and second in your order. That's fine. I'm not worried about that. They've just got to be guys that aren't considered to be automatic outs. And over the last two weeks going into last night, or yesterday, I guess, they were that. They were both batting below 150 in the two weeks prior to yesterday. That's unacceptable, man. That got Paul DeYoung sent down to the minors, much less put onto the bench. I think the way that you go about this is take advantage of the hot bat with Albert Pujols and plug one of these guys in between Arenado and Pujols in the batting order so that they can start seeing some pitches. Yeah, I think they're seeing pitches. I mean, Tyler O'Neill's been batting second for a decent amount of time now. He's seeing pitches. He's just not hitting them. Coming up in about 15 minutes, Fernando Tatis Jr. continued what's been a very eventful calendar year for him. When was the last time that we saw a superstar go from beloved universally to this kind of fall from grace? Grace, rather. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. In or out, coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with PK and Ferrario. Seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for in or out guys in or out. The bullpen is going to be the undoing of the Cardinals. If they make the playoffs, <laughs> what uh, is this 2021 and 2020 and 2019? Um, I'm going to say I'm out on this one. I think the bullpen, I think if you get into a scenario like last season where you're against the Dodgers and it's a one, nothing game and you lose in the ninth when Gallegos or somebody gives a run up, it's going to be easy to go to, oh, that guy blew the game. But I do believe that their undoing, if it takes place, will be their offense. Yeah, I'm with Alex. I'm out on this. I I don't think the bullpen is going to be the thing we look at and say, that's the reason the Cardinals lost. I, are they going to give up runs in the playoffs? Sure, that's inevitable, probably. But I don't think they're the reason you're going to look at I think it's going to be the offense just has kind of like you saw in the Dodgers game last year, where it was, wow, your pitching gave you an opportunity. Sure, Reyes gave up a walk-off home run, but... Your offense did legitimately nothing. It's funny because I, I've seen a lot of, I know Ben Fred wrote about this over the weekend, and I've seen some of the frustration, especially coming off of Saturday night's loss, talking about how the offense is inconsistent. And against these right-handed pitchers, the Cardinals have really struggled. And there's some truth to that. I mean, you if you go back and you look at some of their numbers against Zach Wheeler, Scherzer, Alcantara, Kevin Gossman, Spencer Strider, and then a, uh, you look at specifically what they've done against Burns this year. They haven't been very good against those guys, but nobody's good against those guys. If you look at Zach Wheeler's numbers on the season, he's awesome. Max Scherzer's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Sandy Alcantara is in the running for the NL Cy Young this year. Kevin Gossman's been tremendous for a couple of years now. Spencer Strider is going to break the record for strikeouts by a rookie. And then Burns won the NL Cy Young last year and could at least be in contention again for it this year. There's a reason why those guys are good against you. They're good against everybody. So I don't know that it's really all that. I don't think that it tells you all that much to see what they're doing against these pitchers. I think it just shows you that good pitching is always going to be good hitting, especially in today's day and age with the way that hitters are approach the game. So in or out, the bullpen's going to be the undoing of the Cardinals if they make the playoffs. I think that's the way it's going to feel afterwards. If they end up losing, I think the likelihood is we come in the next day and we say, hmm. In the end, you didn't have enough beyond Ryan Helsley in your bullpen. 
And I like their arms. Like Geo has his moments. I think Zach Thompson is a guy that I'm I'm still shocked that they sent down. It's baffling to me. I know that they wanted him to get the every day going back to back and then maybe three out of four. They want those opportunities. Could have done that in the big leagues. And instead, you're wasting those innings right now down in Memphis. So I wish he was still here to do that. I think he's eventually going to factor into that six, seven, eight range. But yeah, I, I'm in. I think that the bullpen would be the thing that we look back on and say that's what ended up doing him in. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, in or out, Ollie Marmol is considered to be a top three manager in the National League right now. Let's go through who we would I have. I mean, in Dave that. Roberts is going to be probably number one. Buck Showalter, Brian I think Bob Melvin's excellent. Yeah, but their record doesn't help them. Yeah, but I think. Bob Melvin's? They're, they have the same record as you do right now. In San Diego, but, but I feel like in San Diego, that's underperforming. Uh, I don't, based on the, what they have available to them this year. They've been without Fernando Tatis Jr. all season long. They've had quite a few significant injuries for them. Considering they epically collapsed last year, I think right now they're sitting about where they were, kind of expecting to be. Uh, I think I would have him. I think I'd have him fourth, Ollie, behind Snitker, Roberts, and Showalter. I think I'd probably put him. I'd put him behind, I think, Showalter, Snitker up there. I think uh, uh, in out west, Roberts. And I like I, I like Melvin, too. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. I like Council, but his bulb management yesterday was buzzling. I think that's I think Council's about really it. good. I, the other thing that's so tough with this is, like, what we just named is the guy, the teams that have the best rosters. I think so. I think like okay. So like I'm thinking of the other managers too, real quick. Gabe Kapler. Like I've never been a big fan of Gabe Kapler. Honestly, I don't know how Manningly's still employed in Miami. <laughs> because it's Miami. <laughs> I guess it's fair. Philly. They got an interim manager. That guy might be actually be pretty good. Look at how he turned that roster around with uh, when they fired Joe Girardi. And then in the NL Central, the rest. I, I don't think David Ross is that great. No. I, Derek Shelton's not that great. Uh, who's? I, I think David Bell's a better manager than he gets credit for, but I don't think he's great. A lot of this is what they have available to them. Yeah, they just and that's, that's what I'm saying team. is like, when I look at the Mets, man, they, they're but loaded. Like, I, I try to picture like, okay, so if I put Shelton with the Mets, do I think the Mets would be this good? No. I agree. I, I think like Showalter has a proven track record with multiple different organizations that he's an excellent manager. I think Dave Roberts is a really good manager, and a lot of it is not because of what he does in-game. I think he's great at managing the clubhouse, and that's a super important thing. I think Bob Melvin is really good tactically. With Snitker, I, th- I think he's a really good manager, but like he also has an excellent team, man. There are very few decisions that you have to make when you have such a plug-and-play lineup every day, and the bullpen's been really good over the last couple of years. I give more credit to, on that team to the GM than I do the manager, and that's not to take anything away from Snitker. See, I think the way he uses weapons in the postseason was what told well, me he's a great manager. But I also look at the fact that they lost the face of the franchise in Freddie Freeman in the offseason, and yeah, they went out there and, and got... And Albies this year. It's a good point. I mean, to be able to keep a team competitive when you lose that big of a name like you got to give credit to a team like that the guy who's in charge of all of those players yeah i I think based on the lack of a track record it's fair to have him fifth ollie so i I would say we're all probably out on being a top three manager however here's a follow-up question for you guys if the cardinals have a deep playoff run and part of it is because ollie is aggressive and he may he presses all the right buttons does that change things I think so. Like if he has a Brian Snitker type of postseason, the Cardinals losing the NLCS because the Mets or the Dodgers were just clearly the better team. 
Does yep. that change how you feel about him going into next year? I think so. Well, if he change. takes down the Braves or the Mets, I think that would change my opinion going into him being a top three manager. I, I, I don't know. I almost it's tough to it's gonna be tough to surpass even beating them. Like it's gonna be tough to surpass a Show Walter. It's gonna be tough to surpass. But that's the reason Snedgar. why. Yeah, but I, even I, if you make the series competitive, I think if I think if there's a if okay, so if the Cardinals went to a series today with the Braves, how much of a underdog are they? Is it like essentially kind of like the old saying in 06 when I was like, well, the Tigers will sweep them, and it'll be a three game series. I don't think they would. I don't think I'd view them as being swept. I think it's going to be an uphill battle. I think it has to be. I think for nationally, Ollie, there will be very few that pick the Cardinals. I, yeah. I think I, I would I view it the way the Ollie, Blues and Avalanche this year in the playoffs. So there's a slight chance, but not very big. Yeah. Okay, Everyone's well, looking at it that way. Because I, I, I feel like they still have a decent shot at that series. I think it's a series against, like, the Dodgers where it would be, like, if the Cardinals go into the CS against the Dodgers, my first reaction is, holy hell, that's four games and it's over. Is it if weird? If can tactitiously, that's a word. That is not a word. If, tactically? Is that what you're you. looking for? If Ollie can tactically maneuver the lineup and maneuver the bullpen around the Dodgers and beat the Dodgers and get past the Dodgers in the NLCS, yeah, then he'll leapfrog. But that's the only way I think he can. Is it weird that the Mets scare me more than the Dodgers? I no, they're really good. No, yeah. I mean, the both, Mets scare the hell out of me right now. Both teams I could understand. Guy. No, no, not him. Stubby no. Clap took him down. That's what I, I would go with the Dodgers just based on the, the well, record. I mean, of course, the record. Right is, but for some unreal. reason, that Mets team, man, with DeGrom. Yeah, it's Scherzer. the Scherzer DeGrom thing, mm-hmm. right? You have those two at the front end of your rotation. That should scare the hell out of everybody, including the Braves, the Dodgers, the Padres, the Cardinals, the Brewers, uh, Phillies, anybody that could potentially go up against them in the playoffs. That is terrifying. So, I yeah, I mean, the, the National League is just so loaded. To answer my own question, would it change things for me? Yes, I think it should, because last year, Brian Snitker changed everybody's opinion of him based on what he did in the playoffs. He was able to keep that team together after they lost Ronald Acuna Jr. And the only reason we're having him in this conversation is because of what he did in the playoffs. If they lose to the Dodgers there, are we having that conversation? I'm not sure we are. The, the Braves? Snitker, yeah. In, ter- I, I, in terms of what? How we view Brian Snitker. If they don't beat the Dodgers and don't win the World Series, are we saying Snitker's a conversation with Ollie? No, because I th- yeah. No, because I think then he is. Well, they didn't have Acuna Jr. Yeah, so he's in the. He, I think he would be then in the conversation with Ollie as the like four yeah. five in the National League. Okay. And that's why I'm saying this year, if Ollie is able to do what Snitker did a year ago, I think the Dodgers this year are better than what they were at that point last year. So if Ollie does that, then yeah, I would, I would have to have him at least in that conversation. But it would be more in that four range, just because of the the track record is so significant for those other guys. Uh, Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Four in or out, guys. In or out. The Cardinals are about to go on at least a 10-game winning streak with Colorado, Arizona, and Chicago coming up on the schedule. Look, I love the excitement, but I'm going to say I'm out on this because you know they're in for at least a dud somewhere. 10-game win streak is so difficult to do. Heck, they had a 7-game win streak, and people aren't talking enough about it. I, I think they're going to... I think they're going to be very good over this 10-game stretch, but I'm out on them winning 10 consecutive games. Yeah, I'm out as well because I look at Colorado and Arizona, and though they are viewed as bad teams, they still got some decent pieces on those teams. So I I could see a stinker that comes along, you lose a game. I I can't see them winning 10 in a row. 10 is wild, man. What do you think is the over-under for wins in this stretch? They've got 11 games against Colorado, Arizona, and Chicago. The first three are at home, and then the last eight, I'd put it three at against s- Arizona and five against Chicago are on the road. I'd put it at six and a half. For 11 games? Yeah. Winning six and a half? 
Yeah. Oh, if they go six and five, this is a disastrous stretch, right? Against those. Well, you asked me what the over-under was. I think it's a bad stretch. Was. Yeah. I, I think seven's probably over would be set at around that six and a half range. Oh, I would go, I think I would set it at eight. Wow, you were I'd be really, really optimistic. I, I know they should I mean, do that, but I these teams that would... you're playing against are bad. Okay, so I, I know that I should be saying, like... Yeah, but you're talking two sweeps in that stretch. Uh, I mean, you win two out of three, two out of three, and four out of five. Yeah, but... <sighs> I think that's the expectation for me. Yeah, that, that's the expectation. And you're doing one of them as a doubleheader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I yeah, you're you're gonna have to be doing some. Your expectation is eight of eleven. I think it's a good trip if it. I think it's a good set of these games if it's yeah. seven of eleven. I'd put it at six and a half, and I'd take the over. I think they get seven. Yeah, but yeah, eight eight. There's gonna be a lot of lineup maneuvering going on, and a lot not a lot. There's no days off, correct? No well, days off, other well, than today. Yeah. No days off. <laughs> Coming up next, Fernando Tatis Jr. had who an eventful weekend to cap off an eventful calendar year. When was the last time we saw a superstar this universally loved have such a quick fall from grace? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. When the people who gave you $340 million guaranteed dollars, they stop trusting you, that's a problem for Fernando Tatis Jr. And, and just one of the consequences of his actions in this case uh, are, are going to have really, really long-term damage on how he's seen in the game. So Fernando Tatis Jr. on Friday after we got off the air was suspended for 80 games for a failed PED test. He was tested or tested positive as a result of. I apologize. I'm definitely going to butcher the pronunciation of this. Clostebol? Clostebol? I thought, yeah, Clostebol, Clostebol, something like that. Something like that. It's, he it's says, supposed to take care of ringworm. No, it's not. He claimed that it is supposed what? to take care of cling or clingworm. <laughs> Ringworm. However, a dermatologist saw this story and posted on Twitter, we do not use this at all for ringworm. What? In fact, it makes ringworm much worse no. and is, quote, the absolute last thing that we would prescribe to help ringworm. Well, maybe he was given false information because didn't his mom tweet a picture of ringworm? So he said, we that? do not like use Clostebol, C-L-O-S-T-E-B-O-L. However, we frequently prescribe Clobes, Clobes. <laughs> Today, Junior? Clobetesol. C L O B E T A S O L. A potent topical steroid. Oh, I can see how he confused both of them. He said. <laughs> Especially if he came with yeah, He's probably sitting at the store going, Clusterball or Clusterball. <laughs> he said he believes that it is possible. He Googled. Oh this my God. specific thing that he clearly used as a PED. I think we can all agree with that. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Uh, and then saw 
that another Google search <laughs> referenced this ringworm uh, topical steroid, and he basically used that as his excuse. Listen, man, the dude used a PED, and he got popped for it, and now he's going to be suspended for the next 80, day, 80 games as a result. This sucks for the Padres. This is a bad look for Fernando Tatis Jr. His last calendar year, Alex, he has now had, according to him, multiple wrecks on his motorcycle down in the Dominican Republic. Oh, he's one Chris of which resulted in a shoulder injury that he's basically missed the entire season as a result of. He wasn't a last year broke his wrist <laughs> for something. The wrist is the issue he's got with the motorcycle. The shoulder that, was the one he had where it keeps dislocating there out. There you go. So and he, all- he told the team... No, no, I won't have surgery. I know you want me to. I'm not going under the needle. So he's got all of this going on in the backdrop. And then his teammates were asked about all of this, Alex. And over the weekend, they were like, yeah, we don't trust him. We don't believe in this guy. He's got to show us that he he's going to be willing to actually go the extra mile. Here's Mike or Mike Clevenger talking about segment. three minutes in. We'll get this right. Very disappointed. As uh, you know, it's the second time we've been disappointed with him, and it was just you know, you hope he grows up and you know learns from this and learns that it's not just you know it's about more than just him right now. I mean, you can't blame him. I mean, you got a, a clubhouse full of guys who expect and anticipate winning a World Series. The general manager goes out and makes that huge trade because he knows that the team is built for a World Series and Tatis Jr. is on his way back, and then the team is just let down. And I, from the way Clevenger's speaking. It sounds like they expected this from Fernando Tatis Jr. Like once the the motorcycle accident took place and he was out for the first 50 plus games of the season, they were like, yeah, something's going to go wrong here because it's a young kid who's got all of the money and they're trying to they're trying to groom him into a professional baseballer here. The thing about it, which I don't understand why you're going this route if you're Fernando Tatis Jr. by trying to, to just lie and lie and lie. Like, dude, you had a medical staff at the baseball team. Like, you had a training staff. And you're going to sit here and say, oh, well, it was a mistake because I thought it was it. None of that works right now, man. And now this is as big of an inkblot on your resume as you can ask for. And what is he, 23 years old? Yeah. It's not going to be easy to just shake off this inkblot. You can't just return after your 80-game suspension and say, all right, all good now, guys, because everyone is going to be sitting here saying, yep, performance-enhancing drugs, performance-enhancing drugs. He goes into a slump, PEDs. Like, this is this is about as big of a shot into your career as you can ask for if you're Tatis Jr. I mean, talk about a guy that went from the face of baseball to now being... He's on a... Literally. He's on a video game. Yeah, face of baseball to a guy that is now viewed as just a child that hasn't grown up and that is going to be remembered now as a villain across baseball for the being caught on the PEDs. I mean, this is such a bad look for Fernando Tatis. And honestly, guys, I think it's a worse look for the San Diego Padres. I mean, you hand out that massive contract extension and reading all the articles on Fernando Tatis, a lot of people around the industry were saying, hey, San Diego knew what they had in the kit. Like, there was stuff coming from inside the Padres organization saying, hey, this kid's not mature. He's not acting like himself. One, we mentioned it already, you had the motorcycle instance in the in the Dominican. Two, while he's coming back from this wrist injury, he had not been medically cleared by the Padres to take swings in a batting cage, and they caught him down in a batting cage taking Good swings. Lord, and then he goes, that, so he's not listening to the medical team. He still refuses to have shoulder surgery, and the Padres are still recommending that while he's on an 80-game suspension. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know how you can come back from this if you're Fernando Tatis. And honestly, if I'm the San Diego Padres, 
Padres, I would be looking to see if anybody's willing to take that contract. I would clear that contract off the books, and then I can take his money and I can go give it to a guy who I know is mature and give it to Juan Soto. Yeah, but the hope is that you can get him mature and find the right path with this because, I mean, look. And I don't know if there's any turnaround from where you've already been He's 23 years old. There's always a chance to turn it around, and he's a generational player. Now, the question is, is this player because of PEDs or not because of PEDs? No, it's hard like, for me to believe he that. He yeah. would have tested positive at this point if this was something that he was consistently taking. Because this is this was not a, some masking agent. This is a actual steroid. Like this is a yeah, he was actually the anabolic it, yeah. steroids that you've heard of that you were. That's what this is. He was using that, and so this is something that he probably used. My guess. This is all alleged. This is my guess as to what happened. He probably heard from somebody that this is going to help you recover quicker. And that's what he's using to try to get back onto the field. As and that's the immaturity side of it. 100%. He's not listening to the right people. He's got the wrong people in his corner. All of these different things are something that he's got to get figured out, man. At some point, he's got to feel like he hit rock bottom. I don't know if that's now. Uh, this, I don't know if that was last. It clearly wasn't last winter when he had all of the wrecks. And, it, it, look, when Robinson Cano's tweeting out he's ashamed of Fernando Tatis Jr., that's rock bottom. It should be. A-Rod literally came out publicly today. I don't know if you guys saw this, but he said he's crying because these guys are not learning from his mistakes. Now, you can listen to A-Rod or not. You can put that to the side, whatever. But when A-Rod is coming out and publicly shaming you, that ain't a great look for you, Fernando Tatis Jr. It, am I far off saying as much as we're going to – and look, this is this is on Fernando Tatis Jr. because you, with that amount of money, you should be mature enough. And like I mentioned, you've got a medical team. But you also look at the teammates around him too, right? Like, the guys should know that, hey, no. we, we need to keep a closer eye on this kid. He hasn't even been around the club for most of yeah. the, the Understandable, season, but so, if you know no. if you know he's this guy where he's going to make mistakes, don't you think that because he's this impactful to you that you're going to be keeping a closer eye on so that you can make sure he stays on the right track? you can do. If anything, if I'm in that club, you, I'm you questioning him getting that contract. You have friends, right, where they just always consistently make stupid decisions. Right, but I'm, I'm going to do my best to try and make sure he gets on. But and, eventually it's, it's up to them. Like, either they're going to make the bad decision or not, and there's nothing and I, you can do. But he's I also 23 reading, years old compared to a 28, 29 year old doing it. Like, if sure. this was Manny Machado, I think you're at the point where you're like, eh, nothing which we could do here. I, I, I've, I've I got a sister Machado who's younger, too. and it like she doesn't make stupid decisions. She's very mature. She's down in Atlanta. She's living on her own. She's doing her thing. But if she consistently made stupid choices, I would try to do everything that I can to make sure that she stops making those stupid decisions. But eventually it's on her. I can't be there to coddle her at all times. And that's how I think it is with the Padres, where they say, okay, you're going to the Dominican in the offseason. We can't be there at every waking moment to tell you what you should and should not be doing. Eventually, you just have to decide what those decisions are that are and are not correct. And he didn't make the right decisions during your rehab. All right, Fernando, we're going to trust you to go out there and do the right things to get yourself back onto the field. And he didn't do those things, clearly. And you have to, you, there has to be some amount of trust there. It's the same thing with the Cardinals, right? They had for a couple of years a guy in Marcelo Zuna who did not do the things that they wanted him to do. And they said that consistently. Is that on the team or is that on the player? I blame the player. The same way. Yeah, Carlos same Martinez. I blame the player. Yeah. Eventually they have to be able like to grow said, up. I blame the player in this, but you do ask the question in a clubhouse that's surrounded by a ton of veterans like that. But I get it. And I think Machado, based on the stuff I was reading, uh, Dennis Lynn, I think, is one who covers the team for the athletic. Like, Machado, remember last year where there was the moment in September where Machado and Tatis got at got at each other's throats in the 
middle of that terrible stretch in September. Well, apparently it wasn't so much of, you know, it was Machado basically losing it with Tatis because he'd been taking him under his wing, and then he's not listening to Machado. He's not listening to him. He's he's pouting during these losing streaks. He's not keeping the morale up when he's the guy that everybody looks to, and Machado finally lost it on Tatis, and honestly, I think Machado moved on from Tatis, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, it sucks, man, because this was the guy, like you mentioned, that was the face of baseball for a year and was in my opinion, the most fun player to watch in the sport. I, I didn't enjoy watching anybody the way that I enjoyed watching Fernando Tatis Jr. The only hope that you have at this point is that he figures a way to get out of this spiral that he's in right now. And if he doesn't, I I don't know what this means for both him and for the Padres. This could be the contract that sinks him. Everybody's been saying for the last few years, eventually they're going to have to pay the freight. Well, this contract could be the one that they have to pay the freight on if he doesn't get things turned around. BK and Ferrari Rewind is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's T-Bone's favorite time of the year, the summer of giving school supply drive and ticket blast. This Saturday, I will be out of the Lou Fuse Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram located 3480 State Highway K out in O'Fallon, Missouri. Come on out, drop off a school supply donation and get registered to win. Grand prize winner, get this, Saturday we'll receive an all-inclusive three-night stay at Dreams Jade Resort and Spa in Riviera, Cancun, courtesy of Travel Hoss, and I'll be giving away pairs of tickets to Blue lose games for the upcoming season every 15 minutes for more information check it out 101espn.com and if you missed anything from today's show be sure to check that out at 101espn.com as well the free 101 espn app it's all presented by dobbs tire and auto centers for alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley we're expecting to be joined by tommy edmund tomorrow on the show so looking forward to that we'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m the fast lane is coming up next it was a very possum joke at all uh, katie's in two <laughs> boom God, I love it, Katie. How are you? I'm well, guys. How are you? Possum. I've been. (laughs) You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.